All right, guys, it's Tuesday. We are getting back to our roots around here. We got sports galore. We have Jack, you know, martingaling his way to a big Kansas bet last night. We got Justin Herzig joining us tonight. We got Masters. We got pretty big updates from both Top Shot and NFL all day. Plenty to get to. Let's jump into it. It's Club Top Shot going up on a Tuesday. All right. Uh, Peter Jennings, I am told, is going to join us at some point tonight. Andy's feeling a little bit under the weather, but we brought in a ringer. It is, of course, our friend Justin Herzig from Own the Moment, the Owners Club. How are we doing tonight, Justin? Cheers. Doing well. It's been, uh, been an eventful day from this space, but uh, I mean, it is Masters Week. Nothing that happens from Dapper Labs can really top it. It's <laughs> Masters Week, so I've got my Masters green on. We're ready. I know normally I would say around these parts just the single nfl all day announcement the top shot announcement that just dropped a few minutes ago essentially would give us enough fodder for an entire show but we got lots to get to tonight jack um you're coming off of what i would consider a wild night when justin said you had a wild night i thought he was referring to your single pot uh <laughs> pasta experiment jack i showed my wife Lauren that video and she was in tears <laughs> laughing for the people who didn't see what transpired on Instagram please please tell people what you did last night yeah uh it's funny I never really cross promote my Instagram content but this has been like people have said you gotta show people on Instagram so go follow the Instagram although the content may be expiring soon so last night Hallie was gone she's here she's back now but she normally cooks dinner and I've cooked food before we're launching a food business i will not be the chef of that and so i looked up a recipe i want something simple before the game so there's a recipe for one pot chicken parm and so you cook the chicken in the pot you remove the chicken and it said you put the marinara in you put you know mix it with a little water heat it to a boil and then put the pasta in and apparently that was like the most, I, I got 400 people responding to me saying you have to cook the pasta in the boiling water before, <laughs> before, before you put it in the sauce. But I don't understand because the recipe instructed me to do so. So then the pasta, I it was like al dente. And that's what I just went with. It was al dente pasta. And it was, it was probably like a three out of 10. But I was just dying because I, I can't like make fun of you in like the cooking area because I'm not some, you know, hot chef, but I would never go in with the confidence that I knew what I was doing while Instagram story documenting it every step of the way. Uh, it was a beautiful train wreck to watch unfold. Yeah, it was spectacular. Can you put this on Twitter, please? I know. I, I don't, you know, some platforms are, I forgot you're such a boomer that you don't even have Instagram. I went, to, I went to see if it was still up and all we have is the post statement. Uh, on, on yeah, I had to clear the air. I had to clear, clear the air. Do you have any concerns about how this impacts? Uh, and because of that, you cook the chicken, remove the chicken, keep the chicken warm. And then you put the sauce and water. Sauce was mixed with water. And people are saying you got to boil the, the water and then cook the pasta and do, do the sauce. But I was using a very specific recipe that said all of this could be done in one pot. <laughs> so, yes, you'll have to follow Jack on Instagram for more of these exploits. Um, 
But NBL. The, the oh, meta here, the meta here was is just to show us that cooking is hard and we should just order chicken tendies and mac and cheese, right? Yes. Yeah. Oh, I, don't like how to, I don't know how to point to you, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's always a cut. There you go. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Go the opposite of where you think you should go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, As Ghost of Greg Odin says, artists often excel at only one medium. Jack needs to stick <laughs> to tendies. Yeah. Um, we got Jennings in the house and uh, NBL. How are we? Uh, how are we doing? Big week uh, over at Floaty. You got to be excited about all these uh, Dapper announcements. Yeah, it's a definitely big week at Floaty. But I, I do want to give a special shout out to our boy Belair, Belair, who is officially single and coming out swinging, <laughs> firing memes nonstop on Twitter. So big congratulations to him. And yeah, a, a big week for Top Shot, a big week for NFL All Day, and. A lot of exciting things going on. A big announcement just now that we, we can uh, unpack throughout the show. And great to see Jennings out here. Yeah, Pete, it's been a minute. How are we doing, buddy? Good. Just back from uh, Vegas. I was out uh, for Bet Bash. So got home. My flight got <laughs> delayed. Uh, so I got home at like 3 or 4 in the morning. So it's been a long day. But happy to be with you guys. And uh, yeah, a lot of exciting stuff happening in crypto betting. We got the Masters this week. So pretty happy camper over here. What uh, I heard a few references to Bet Bash on Twitter, but I'm not sure I know exactly what it is. What was that? So Spanky put on this big event with like a bunch of betters and bookmakers and different people around the sports betting industry. Uh, it was held at Circa, what, like 500, 600 people. Um, pretty cool event. Saw a lot of people I knew, and uh, yeah, it was fun. Um, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot going on in the betting world right now. And uh, it was good to kind of have the bookmakers and some of the betters together because obviously there's normally a clash there. So uh, it was kind of fun to, to have everything together. And um, yeah, a lot of people asking about Top Shot and NFTs actually too. There you go. And your other big uh, you know, news item in our sphere is, uh, of course, you and Rufus uh, teaming up with our ETR pals to launch their golf product i know you uh are going to be on their regular show uh how excited are you about masters week and uh doing golf with etr yeah super stoked really excited uh obviously rufus is uh, a legend in the golf handicapping world so really happy to bring that to dfs and with etr um i think it's gonna be a lot of fun and this week is even more i guess it would get more attention than it normally would for the masters because of all the stuff with tiger so should be pretty legendary week and uh yeah I'll have some action on the Masters, so that's always fun. Can you Breaking give us a news. winning bet? Yeah, can you give us yeah, a winning who should bet we take? I, I've got a draft coming up. I don't know how to take. My my favorite bets are all any. If you can short Tiger in any way, I think that's probably from a betting perspective um, the most plus EV. And I, I'm rooting for him. I mean, even with action against him, I'll still be rooting for him. But uh, yeah, it's a pretty tall task, and the markets still are giving Tiger quite a bit of respect given it's his first golf tournament in over a year. So, and obviously all the injury stuff. In my three second conversation I had with him yesterday, which was more of me talking to him as he walked by during the practice round. Um, it was, uh, first of all, it was hole eight, purely striped a ball to get up there into, which is the par five. So looked great there. So walking by, I think it was him, JT and couples. And uh, we asked like, so you're gonna play the back nine? And he looks and he smiles and he goes, today? And uh, just gave that like Tiger look, like you knew he was feeling it. He was playing, and uh, that was that was fun. That's yeah. awesome. You're in a, you're in Augusta right now, Justin. I just flew back this morning. Oh man, that's still pretty sweet. Well, cheers, guys. See some some wine drinkers. We got any other uh, drinkers tonight or no? 
Just a little uh, vodka. H2O here. I have tea. Yeah, a lot of vodka. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Justin, so, you and I are on the same wavelength. Yeah. Yeah, Justin, it. tell me what you you had. You've had some interesting Masters tweets uh, <laughs> lately here. Hard to separate fact from fiction here. Patrick Reed today asked me how much I'd be willing to wager a hold to join him on his Masters practice round. What's your answer? T tell us how this tweet uh, came about. Yeah, so similar story here. Um, we're sitting in that same hole, and uh, most of these practice round practice groups, you have like two or three people kind of playing together. And uh, I don't know, maybe not surprising, Patrick Rue was playing by himself. And so he walks by, and uh, like literally where we're sitting is they're three, four feet walking right by. And so this time when he walked by, I was just like, hey, you need a playing partner for the back nine. And uh, he responds, how much you want to play for a hole? Wow. And uh, I, I said 1K straight up, and uh, he just kept walking. <laughs> Do you think there was a number you could have said where he wouldn't have kept walking? I don't think so. I th yeah. Later, I was like, you know what? Maybe if I change it to, like, one shot. Like, I think he might allow someone to, like, play that hole or play that at least tee shot. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I kind of wanted to be like, I should have asked instead and been like, what's the number that you need? And then get in the, on the ridiculous, like... I don't know. What would have been ridiculous? 10K, 50K, 100K? Like, what would he have said? Yeah, I mean, Pete, how? I, it's not even a fair question to ask Pete because what? did You you got to play with Tiger Woods for free. So, I mean, you're probably not forking. <laughs> I wouldn't say for free, but I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I paid 16000 for that tournament. I've paid like 40 grand over the years to play in that poker tournament. And uh, I think if I would have won, we were like thinking about just like what the prize pool would have been. I probably would have won like half a million dollars. So, but there it was sweet. Um, have you played Augusta, Pete? No. Ooh. That's on the bucket list. The ti the Tiger news is like out. Everyone knows he's playing at this point. Jack, What's... to be fair, most of your breaking news is already out as well. Wait, the funniest part is the Metcalf. <laughs> is not true. The Met Metcalf is everywhere. <laughs> I mean, there's a price for him. There's not a price. I'm just saying. Uh, what was I going to say? The, the thing about Tiger, I agree with Jennings on shorting him, but like everything that's coming out from him, from his camp, from others watching are like, he looks like he's fully back, which is just bizarre. It's not like he's limping around or like he's just trying to go out there for like a PR thing. He actually thinks he's going to like win the tournament. It's, it's insane. He's insane. So Justin, what were you do? You just uh, went there to check out some of the practice rounds, or were you know, business pleasure? What were you doing at the Masters? We did a little golf trip down in Charleston the weekend before. Uh, so TJ and I, and then two of my other college friends were there, and we uh, these are practice tickets that we had from back in like 2020, and they just kept getting delayed because of COVID and the smaller um, smaller crowd last year. And so just made a golf trip around it, and uh, it was my second time going. First time going to a practice round, and I think. The big takeaway for me for the practice round is the greens are just so insane. And so we watched a group. One was an amateur from UNC, and then I don't remember who the partner was. And they spent probably 10, 15 minutes on one green just trying to get a feel for it. And it was the three-tier green. I forgot the number. But they're putting. If the, if the hole's to my left, they're probably 90 to 120 degrees away from it putting and just hoping that it ends up there. And uh, you would see multiple times looking at a caddy and just being like, I don't know what's going on. That's crazy. Um, and you need to tell us about uh, 
I, I have to build my lineup here for the owners club. You guys rolled out uh, a little contest here for the masters. I can pull it up. Why don't you tell people? Cause I know a lot of people who watch this are of course uh, in the owners club, but might not know about what you guys are cooking up here for the masters. Yeah. I mean, just a small little fun thing, thousand dollar prize pool, similar to what we did for March madness and stuff. All you got to do is burn one of the series one cards, which are like, you know, four or $5. Um, but it's similar to the pools that I've been playing for the past, like however many years with friends, we put it, we put the top players in different groups based off kind of, uh, similar odds or similar talent. You pick your team, you choose one from each takes their, uh, you know, scores across the entire tournament. If you miss the cut, you get, um, I think it's like what one stroke worse than whatever the worst one is before. Um, but overall, I mean, just a fun little way to keep people interested, keep kind of competing against other people who enjoy watching kind of sports and such and uh, add a little utility to the TOC cards where uh, using that burn functionality. Yeah. Um, once I saw that the Houston running backs uh, signed Marlon Mack to be their <laughs> RB one, I feel pretty comfortable selecting this Houston RB as my, uh, as my burn card here. Um, very nice. No, yeah. No Brees Hall. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, they could do it. They could do it. Um, yeah. Then, I'll, then I'm going to be knocking down your door and being like, actually, is that really burned or can I maybe have that back? Um, Mike, you said you were in a, some masters pools or something with, with your buddies. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, it's extremely basic how it works. We just randomize four of us and we just do a snake draft where we each take I don't know, six or eight golfers, whatever it is. And I just have no idea what I'm doing. So I just go right down the odds list. I'm extremely boring out there with it. But sometimes um, I'm looking at like an old odds list or something and I pick someone who's injured and I just have no idea what's going on. And I, I want like nothing to do with it, but I, I don't want to be that guy who's like, no, I'm out this year. So if, if, if any of you wants to step in and, uh, and be my draft advisor, that would be fantastic. I, I don't know the first thing about the Masters right now. Jennings, are you doing a Calcutta? I'll have a piece of, Cal of a Calcutta. The, there's a big opportunity to be in another Calcutta, but it was Sunday. It was during this conference and just wasn't going to work, but I love Calcuttas. They're the freaking best. We'll, we'll have the best process Calcutta, all the piece of Rufus, but yeah, it should be fun. A lot of action. And the best thing about the Masters relative to other golf tournaments is like the viewing experience is like literally, I think it's the best in all sports. You get to watch literally every single shot from every golfer in the field if you want. Just the whole coverage with the Masters app and everything else is just amazing. So it's great. And uh, yeah, I'm back home. Ashley wanted to get Gracie in here real quick. So Gracie wanted to come clubbing. Yeah, let's, let's see. see. Gracie, Gracie, hi. Hi, oh. Gracie. Gracie, you ready for the Masters? <laughs> get that hair parted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We need a clubbing shirt on today, huh? How when does Gracie, when does Gracie talk? <laughs> She right. says mama, dada, and a couple other things. She's been saying bubbles. She's been whooping. You say mama, dada, anything? You got something to say? What do you think? Bubbles? What do you think? She Nothing? Likes bubbles? I like bubbles. She loves bubbles. <laughs> and uh, actually, her favorite toy right now is her golf clubs. You think that's Ooh. funny, right, Gracie? Yeah. We're going to have to lot in thanks, Gracie's <laughs> golf swing. She's funny. <laughs> What she's uh, gonna, she's gonna be like three golf lessons. <laughs> that uh drive chip putt contest was on TV this past weekend, and yeah, you see these little eight year olds driving at like 200, making ridiculous putts. Like, that makes you feel bad about golf. Uh, Casey <laughs> says, Gracie's first words, Victor Hovland. <laughs> <laughs> Gracie's in a good mood tonight. 
Oh yeah, Ash has got her cracking up. She's she's a happy baby. Mess around with golf stuff. So yeah, I was actually thinking about that. I was telling the story about uh, I bought my crypto punk, and I remember streaming obviously in the hospital for a club top shot. So it's been about a little over a year. So I had to get Gracie back in the mix. Yeah, I keep I'll get reminded every couple of weeks. Someone will be like, "Oh, this was a year ago from our Zed Run." show with with bales and levitate it's every time we pass one of those show milestones it still blows my mind how much has changed in a year it's crazy i actually finally got back into i don't want to say back into zeb but they like upgraded their contract and, and changed the whole game around and so you have to run like 10 test races so i finally did that i haven't really played much since that but I, I really hope they can figure it out. I mean, yeah, that's one of my favorite concepts in all of like NFTs. Even just like, yeah, I agree. Out, out in Vegas, talking to some people, and you know, the PFPs don't really resonate with people as much outside of the NFT world. But the Zed stuff really makes a lot of sense. I think people still really understand Top Shot. Where, where's Andy? Is he not in here? He's not. Uh, he's not feeling good uh, today. And um, but the real truth is, he couldn't bear to show his face after logan paul stole his business yeah we got to know what i was gonna say <laughs> i was excited to talk about that yeah no well uh yeah andy uh is uh dealing with some uh throat issues he'll be back full strength next week and we'll be sure to pick his brain about uh logan paul's new fractional sports <laughs> site that apparently already has massive problems i guess some guy wanted the first one a Giannis card and he had like 93 percent of the action so he can like accept any buyout price he wants with no other uh mechanics to protect the other investors so off to a great start there uh feel better andy uh, Jack, that actually did want to remind me another piece of your Instagram crossover content. You were who were you going back and forth with this beef on from the car? Oh world my god! Show? Yeah, Mike, this is a good reason to get on Instagram besides my pasta content. So there's this guy Patrick Ryan in the card physical car world who's super. I thought was super well respected, and his thing is kind of being like the keep everyone honest, right? Like if he sees pump and dumpers like he'll call them out and if he sees like like card breaking was a huge topic in the card world because as prices kind of moved boxes became really expensive and when prices moved back down they kind of stayed up there and it turned into like you had decent odds to you know everyone knew it was gambling or maybe they didn't but everyone like had somewhat fair odds maybe a little bit of ev and eventually the split like when cards dropped so he would call them out whatever and so i posted the picture of you know the mac and cheese all over me because we're launching snapback kitchen sure, sure. <laughs> and uh he posts on his instagram stories like like now that you're onto this new venture i think it's time that you like make some statement about top shot and put a bow on it <laughs> i was like first of I'm all retiring from top shot to do <laughs> right. <tendies. laughs> right. i'm like well first of all like it's a thursday night and i'm going to like the nets game like why is this on your mind two we've dm before and like rovell is a mutual friend he's a huge texas guy i obviously went there so i was like confused like why not like hit me in the DMs? Like, why are you calling me out about? And so I said, like, I'm on, you know, we do a show every Tuesday night. So maybe he's watching. I said, but sorry, is this public the response? Yeah. And I never, <laughs> exactly. It's tendies or top shot. <laughs> and 
that's and so I never get into drama and I wasn't really replying, like trying to get into drama with him because Jack, let's let's just walk back that statement. You never get into drama, please. What what drama am I in? <laughs> oh am I in God. drama? <laughs> no, you're always in some kind of drama on Twitter. Anyways, I wanted this story to continue. So whatever what are you saying? There's the TikTok. Is it me? Am I the drama? So, anyways, <laughs> uh I was pretty much like like we're adults just like hit me up in the dms and then he like doubled down on his statement and was like i respect i said i respected you as an entrepreneur but i just think you need to like make a statement about top shot and i was like <laughs> what are you talking about like i'm i still do top shot and i still do tendies and so it, it felt like you know he was sad it's like when uh, the media is like, you know, Juju Smith-Schuster can't do TikToks or like Hollywood Brownie can't play video games. It, it kind of had that same feeling to me, which I just thought was funny. So, yeah, I'm not it. But the engagement, I mean, people love I I had 15 girls DMing me who had no clue, like have zero clue about cards, collectible, any of that. Does like, have any thoughts on that part? Yeah. Of <laughs> and and they were like, I have no clue what the fuck's going on, but this is amazing. And so now I'm like, now I understand why these influencers beef and then they do like a boxing fight because, you know, people get in interested about it. But I was like blown away because I wasn't sure if he was like calling me out for pumping and dumping. And I always respond to the pump and dump claims by like, I wish I dumped. Like I held on to all this top shot shit at, you know insane prices so yeah well, that was like a bizarre thursday night. how did it resolve itself I've, i i need to know more here he yeah he didn't he didn't really respond he just saw it and then he just like went away and today if you go on his story he's fighting about you know our tickets collectibles with rovell it's like like i found out since he's more just like you know he enjoys being in that kind of situation. So, and now you've yeah. had a taste of the engagement from the uh, the online beefing. You think this is going to be part of your repertoire now? That, that's what I'm saying. Is now yeah. I see why people do it. I it's really not for me. Like it, it really is not. Well, to me, the, the yeah. takeaway coming after Jack. Is... Who do you want to fight, Jack? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it's not hard to you know read between the lines of what's going on there, right? I mean, a lot of the physical card maxis felt very threatened by yeah. Top Shot. They felt very left in the dust. And so they feel any sense of validation if Top Shot isn't doing well, if NFTs right. aren't doing well. They say, oh, we were right all along. And so, of course, when, say, the market's dipping, that's a prime time to be like, oh, because you once collected this thing, you need to give a fucking State of the Union <laughs> right. address about how it's doing. But to me, that's just more a reflection of their own insecurities with their hobby or whatever. Yeah, it I mean, that was that was another reason why I was a little confused was because he had said something to me before privately. And he was like, hey, like you talked about this a lot when it was hot and you should you know, continue to talk about it even through the ups and downs or at least give like an update. And so I did that because I, I totally agree. And one other thing I said to him was like, I don't really talk much Top Shot on Instagram. The majority of Top Shot is on Twitter, this show. Instagram, we posted when we made the big buy and like that's pretty much it. I can't remember another time where I've talked it, but I was like, all right, that's a fair thing. You know, I was pushing this. We talked on IG Lives. And so I kind of update it, but like, 
you know, I haven't sold anything in four months. Like there's no movement for me on the platform. I still feel the same way. So I guess I didn't feel the need, but you know, people, people are people. Yeah. And I mean, Justin, do you have, you know, we've been obviously on this show, we give our, our, you know, weekly takes on things. Um, we haven't heard from you, uh, in a while. What is your kind of take on where the top shot ecosystem, even if that extends to other dapper products, like how are you feeling about stuff right now? I think the last couple months. So I think the last couple months have been pretty positive from a dapper maybe gets it. Um, and maybe dappers incentives align with our incentives, because I think for the past, I'd say six months, um, my thought was that like Dapper knows what it's doing from a business wise and maximizing profit and doing a great job at like showing the various sports teams, sports leagues that, Hey, we can build very profitable businesses and we're the right people to partner with. And what that does, is it's a bit of a land grab and it gets them kind of these, uh, you know, use the previous deals to get long-term rights. And I think that was from a business wise made a lot of sense for them. And now it was been, it's been great to see that like, okay, now that they've shown these leagues, these teams that like, hey, we are the right partner for you. Now let me spend my attention and my energy and even some of my dollars towards the existing community and showing that community that, hey, this is still the right product for you. And uh, what? I mean, oh, even like I feel like one message each week over the past three, four weeks has been towards scarcity, has been towards giving money back to the community. And even the most recent one that just came out tonight that they're going to be giving that $5,000 to different community leaders. There's now team set utility. I'm sure we'll go into all that, but no, I'm, I would say I'm still bullish on everything long-term. And I think the past month or two has shown that like the top shot team and I'm, I say Dapper Labs, but really top shot, the one that is really leading the way, I think from uh, just their you know, more mature uh, has shown that like, yeah, this is the right move for us to invest in our community. And uh, that's going to help us help everyone. I think long-term. Yeah, for sure. And I can play. We have the little teaser video and we can get into some of the stuff they announced here, but we can go ahead and play this here. So there's a much more uh, meaty blog post that gets into everything, but it seemed like, you know, there was a chance there for a while. We were like, are we going to roll into the playoffs without, you know, something here to, you know, kind of show or deliver on some of these promises or where some of the stuff with, you know, IRL activations and collector score really come into play. And it seems like this post and I'm still digesting it is a, is a pretty good start. Um, Mike, as our resident, Top shot, Maxi. I assume you've had a chance to put your fifty hours into this post. How are we feeling? <laughs> I put a few hours in, not not fully digested. Um, I think there are a lot of positives here. First, one thing that a lot of people have been clamoring for is something for the international fans to do. So I, I think it's on this list somewhere. But they're offering, yeah, NBA League yeah. Pass will be given away to qualified international fans so they can enjoy the NBA playoffs abroad, which is great. A lot of international fans have said that all of the real-life utility has been geared toward U.S.-based people who are who are near NBA arenas, and, and they want to obviously participate in that. So I think that's a big positive. Um, I, I like the mix also of them sending people to games. 
in addition to organizing watch parties, because obviously they're not going to be, there are a lot of collectors on top show. There are hundreds of thousands of people who, who participate in, in some form or another. You can't send everyone to a game. And so they'll find a way to get some people to a game, which you know, is, is a really nice experience for some people, but it touches a small part of the community and instead offer you know, different kinds of real life experiences that they can offer to a much wider audience with these watch parties. Um, and I'm sure there's going to be people who feel like they're not in range of the watch party. They didn't win tickets. They're in the U.S., so they can't get league pass and they, they won't be happy with the outcome. But I think, to, you know, to Justin's point, this, this is showing that they're being responsive to what the community wants, which is more engagement, more involvement, more true NBA fandom type offerings rather than you know, kind of just pure, pure gamification and more buying and selling of moments. This is a lot more going on and uh, again a good sign of their access that they have within the nba the support they have from the league and the, the reach they have pete um what what do you think about some of this stuff because i know a lot of the irl perks was something you've been kind of pounding the drum for for a while yeah this is great i think this is a lot of the stuff that i want to see and um I'm pretty excited. I mean, I think it's clear they're trying to figure out what makes sense and what works and how to get the most out of their partnership with the NBA. And I think this is a really good step in the right direction. And the other thing that I'm excited about is just how good these playoffs are going to be. So I hope the Top Shot can capitalize on that. I think we're going to see a lot of really, really great series, great games, hopefully some iconic moments. So I'm uh, I'm optimistic. I've actually been messing around on Top Shot uh, a little bit more recently. So um I'm encouraged and, uh, of course, want to continue to see more innovation there. And, yeah, it's no matter what you do, you're going to get people bitching at you. But um, I think this is a lot of good steps in the right direction, personally. Peter, do you have any Jokic uh, MVP bets going Worst. on this year? Of course oh, I have Jokic MVP. Can we talk? Who's, who do you guys think should be the MVP? Uh, I'm team Jokic. Yeah, Wait, probably Jokic. Yeah. Isn't MVP on ham right now? Like, who's going to win it or who do we think should be it? Both. Yeah, one of each. Uh, Jokic is going to win. I think it's virtually over at this point. Uh, Giannis should be the most valuable player because he is that and he's the best player in the world. I don't think Devin Booker has a true claim to it. He's been really, really good, but that team is spectacular. I don't think Tatum should be it. Um, I think if any any outside person has an actual claim, it's Luka. He's taken a very weak roster and they're the three seed last i checked so if he i don't know why he's not i mean Embiid is obviously up there but i think once they got hard and it kind of just diminished uh you know their rise so i would say luca i think luca is going to have he hasn't won a playoff series yet but he's gone bonkers the last two years against the clippers they're gonna win a playoff series and he's going to put up, you know, 35, 13, and 12 throughout it. And people are going to remember. Like, I think he's a top five player in the league right now, which it's a loaded top five. But right now, I actually – Give me your top five, Jack. My top five – like, just right now, I think it's Giannis. Playoff start tomorrow. Top five guys you want in your team. Right. So, I think that's a big part of it. I'd go uh, Giannis, KD, Luka 3, Steph, and then – uh, I guess it's Jokic, Embiid, and LeBron. Probably, yeah. Uh, 
I probably for playoffs, I'd probably go Jokic. I think he just does more, but that's more. I think Steph is more valuable at this current point than those other guys. Health, like I think Steph's. Uh, I think Steph's value, yes. I don't think he's playing as well as those other guys, but his gravity and like how he can fit into any team, play off ball, I do. Who is yours, Pete? Top five right now? Yeah. I'd say KD, Jokic, Giannis, Embiid, LeBron or Luka would be my order. Justin, you got any, any different names there? I grew the top three, and I think it's it's washy after that. So, yeah. Katie, Jokic, um, Giannis. I, I think those are – I don't know. I, I think those are a bit of a three of tier above the rest of the way that they're playing right now in the value of their teams. I think Embiid's right in the mix too. But is that because of utilization just for that team? Like, I'm trying to think if those three players are on any team, I think they still put up, like, mad efficiency numbers. Um, yeah. I don't know. No, if, I think I, I Embiid like, does. I don't know if it's – I'm more worried about, like, what does Embiid turn into in the playoffs? Like, you start doubling down. Monster. Like, no, of course, all these guys are spectacular. But I just Giannis, – Giannis to me is honestly on a different level than all those guys. Like, Durant is spectacular, but I, he just doesn't make his teammates better to me uh, in an impactful way. They're not even going to make the playoffs. Like, I really – there's a very good chance they're not going to be in the playoffs. And that's like that. I think that's an indictment on him partially if they don't get there. Yeah. yeah I think it's close. The, the thing that's interesting about the numbers and where I'd argue for him beat over Jokic in some ways by the numbers, Jokic is having one of like the best offensive seasons. Yeah. And I watch a ton of nuggets basketball and I think he's gotten, he's gone from like a below average defender to like a really good defender, but not this like all world defender that the numbers are saying, but these advanced numbers keep getting better and better, and he's he's crushing it there. Uh, to me, Embiid, who's not doing as well there, I think in the playoffs he has another gear to be like arguably the best defensive player of the league. I mean, I think Gobert's right there, Giannis, Embiid. But, but the recent trend has been like even Embiid, how dominant he is in years past, especially in the paint. They actually pull him out on the perimeter and they expose him. That's what happened to Gobert last year as well. And that's where I think, like, Giannis definitely isn't the greatest on-ball defender, but he's the most versatile. Like, he's a free safety back there, and he, you know, changes games in the postseason. I'm really excited to see what Jokic looks like in the playoffs this year because he's going to have to carry the load, right, on offense also for 40 minutes. Can he also continue the defense? If they're just putting him in pick and roll, guards are isolating on him. That's, like, my most – that's what I'm most excited to see because if he takes that step – then it's no argument. Like he's second best player in the world to me, just the way he impacts the game. Yeah, and I'll default to Pete here, but how is that? How is it that much different than last year? Because I feel like last year in the playoffs, especially right after the injury, um, like he had to take that load. KD what, or what? Which, oh, which, sorry, I thought Jokic. Yeah, I mean What's, Jokic was unbelievable last year. I mean he's been unbelievable in the playoffs every year. Like I'm talking defensively, yeah. Yeah, defensively, I don't see – I don't get how he's doing so well by the numbers. I mean, right. I, part of it probably is just like his differential when he's on the court when versus when he's off is just – it's absolutely insane. Um, so I think that there's a there's a part of that. And, you know, I think Aaron Gordon compliments him really well, who I do think is a really good defender. But, I mean, he's clearly just gotten really smart. And the other thing that's really impressive about Jokic 
Um, I mean, I think especially early on, everyone's like, oh, he's fat and, you know, he can't move that well. And he's, you know, he looks tired. I mean, I think, is Jokic going to play every game this year? I don't know. Is he going to miss a game? He might not miss a game. Yeah, and maybe, maybe COVID or something. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just like, I think his endurance, I think, is a huge part of it. I mean, um, maybe he's going to miss a game. I've only seen 72 games so far uh, on basketball reference. But I will, he hasn't missed I wonder, many games. I wonder so. if his defensive metrics have lacked in the past just because of Murray and Porter Jr. Like, you know, they don't have defensive studs on the floor at all points. But they need those guys back to obviously go on any type of run. Right. I'm regurgitating to what uh, Zach Lowe said a little bit. They did uh, his pod. They were talking about defensive uh, all team, the all team defense, and uh, by like the numbers, Jokic is clearly there. But they neither uh, Chris Herring or uh, Zach Lowe had Jokic on uh, the first or second team for uh, all defense. Oh, for defense. Pete, what uh, what chances do you think our beloved Nuggets have to make the NBA Finals this year? And the West is wide open outside of the Suns, who have been total outlier by far the best team. So, I mean, with some injury luck, I think they're a little live. I mean, we'll see. Murray, Murray's been – should have come back earlier, honestly, from what everything I've heard, just doesn't trust his knee, which I guess makes sense. And then Porter played really horrible before he even got hurt. So there's some variance there, but it's so hard to, like, just start playing in the playoffs. Like, So I would be shocked if they did it, but – Hard to bet against Jokic in some ways. I think we need, wasn't it last year around this time that we did our Bitcoin bet, Pete, where you were going to oh, yeah. get us all, what was that bet, Mike? Do you remember? Yeah, if it, if it was, I think if Bitcoin was over 100,000 and <laughs> it was what, Nets against Nuggets. Nuggets, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then, then Jenny's treating us all the courtside seats for every game of the finals. I think, something like <laughs> Not that. every game, for a game of the finals. <laughs> Pete, okay. can we? Yeah, if those conditions were met. So, yeah, let, let's reintroduce it. Can we, yeah. can we run it back? So, we'll run it back. Bitcoin's over 100,000. No, 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 no. Bitcoin all time high. <laughs> Bitcoin, <laughs> if it, that's 70K. That's 70K. That's realistic. I mean, how many? How much would it cost for five courtside tickets? <laughs> Pete's paying Debbie to do the Five man. courtside tickets in Denver against who's our Eastern Conference champ? Nets. 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 Okay. Okay. Uh, Probably like 60 grand. One Bitcoin. You spend a First, Bitcoin. <laughs> oh, it's way more than that. Wait, it has to be the Nets. Are the Nets even going to make them? No, that's Playoffs? but that's why we're keeping the bet. Each year we're going to do, you know, the Nets. The free, So I'm just going to free roll you guys indefinitely until we get Nuggets Nets. <laughs> I think the Nuggets Nets next year is like very live. Well, let's be honest. The, the 100 live. The 100K Bitcoin is, uh, is the hurdle here. Can we at least get an... Uh, Easter conference. What, what do you guys think? What do you guys think the odds are around the horn of Bitcoin being over a hundred thousand at some point in 2023? 2023? Yeah. So 50, 50, 50. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'd say 25%. Yeah. I'd probably go even lower. I'd probably say around 15, 10 to 15. Uh, I'll say this? between I'll say between Overzed and Jack. So I'll say thirty five percent. Is this the okay. most bearish crypto yeah, live stream? That, that's pretty damn <laughs> bullish. <laughs> I mean, all right. So if we're you're looking at you're, you're, you're thinking, what's an investment that has a what? Well, we've got twenty month horizon to go two point two x, like steeds. <laughs> all right. Let me give a Bitcoin. Let me give a Bitcoin pitch. Okay. Actually, from a fundamental perspective, I don't think I've ever been more bullish in Bitcoin. 
Um, and not necessarily, this is not like financial advice and even short-term <laughs> price. I have no, no clue. But uh, from a you know short-term price action, it's still risk on asset. And there's a lot of reasons to be pessimistic about the short-term. But long-term and even medium-term, which I'd consider 20 months for crypto, given the, the time horizon that Bitcoin's been around, uh, what happened in Canada with assets being frozen, the Russia-Ukraine stuff's obviously awful, but we're seeing really wealthy people out getting their assets seized. I think there's going to be more and more people who are looking for a decentralized option. Digital currencies across the board, even government-issued uh, digital currencies with China, U.S. will have a digital dollar. Um, I think all of those things are incredibly bullish for Bitcoin long-term. I think more governments are likely to potentially introduce both gold and Bitcoin to their reserves. And the big thing is inflation. I mean, I don't see inflation slowing down in a big way. Um, I mean, certainly not where it's at right now, you know, a year from now, but I think we're gonna have an inflation challenge for a stretch of time. So to me, all those things, plus the network every day that it goes by, it's stronger. And um, yeah, I think the other major, major benefit to Bitcoin relative to other crypto assets from a regulatory perspective, I think there's a lot of regulatory risk in the short term to basically anything other than Bitcoin, which is treated quite a bit differently than uh, these other crypto assets. Pete, how love many, to hear the counters to that, though. How many uh, people do you think are factoring in any of like how much of the price action do you think is on that versus retail investors who are just like, you know, I think someone put out a tweet today about you know, they're talking to an Uber driver who only buys Dogecoin because it's the cheapest, you know, cryptocurrency that could go to the moon or whatever. Like how, where's the balance that, because sense, like in a sensible manner, yes, I completely agree for those reasons, but does Bitcoin's price move on that? Do you, do you think so? Well, I, I'm not counting on retail investors as much for the, for Bitcoin. I mean, I think network effect and adoption is obviously important, but I'm more interested in like governments, institutions, right. Um, you know, sovereign wealth funds, things of that nature getting in the mix. So, yeah, that's, that's my, my counter to all this is, a lot, I mean, essentially everything that you've described has already played out and, and the price has moved a little bit, but, but not very much practically. And so, you know, what, for, what, what more could possibly happen? What, what combination of events that could be possibly be any better for Bitcoin than what just happened over the last couple of well, months could happen? Going forward, that would, would get us to 100,000. It's World not so War much three. the act of it happening, but it's that the rallying around it, which then forces the demand. Because at the end of the day, it's still just an asset class and it's a speculative asset. And that's just being driven by supply and demand. Like we haven't seen any form of additional utility for Bitcoin since its creation. It's only our belief that it's going to have value and that it has, you know, initially we thought Bitcoin was going to be used for transactions. You have all these BitPay and these different kinds of companies that. That, that, that disappeared. Then we go, okay, this is going to become the, you know, um, gold standard. It's going to be just as an asset class that way that still exists. But again, the only reason the price is fluctuating is based off that supply demand aspect. And I think that's where Pete's comments do make sense. And I do think the Ukraine and the Russian oligarchs, like we saw small bumps, but I also don't think that's had a major, that one outlier or one individual case, I would say, is that predictive of what we're going to see going forward? Like, are we going to see more, uh, from global infrastructure financial institutions that they're going to have crackdowns because they can because they can or do we see opportunities for hey you have the ability to actually uh, use the value of digital currencies from a 
uh, technology benefits, getting money into the hands of people who actually need it. And I think these two kind of weigh at odds. Now, I think they both point towards that there will be a future of digital currencies. I think the question becomes whether or not that digital currency is a Bitcoin, b a cryptocurrency, whether we see something of a stable coin or a central bank digital currency. Like I'm still very bullish on this technology. Um, I think I'm not as bullish on like, hey, we have found the one technology and that Bitcoin is going to be that. And I think that's where I'd say from a what is the chance of this hitting 100K? I think it's more of just what's the chance of any asset class um, hitting a 2.2x return in a 20-month window? I don't know. Not that high. But yeah, still definitely possible and more possible than other things because it's purely based off the supply-demand aspect. I mean, if you want to talk about an asset class, I mean, there's 21 million Bitcoins and there's only 10,000 board apes. So, I mean... How many man's <laughs> coins are there? 200. 200, yeah. Has anyone tried to burn a man's coin? Um, man's has tried to physically, but then he was worried about smelting and, um, you know, all kinds of other issues. What, where's everyone at? Will Bitcoin ever hit $100,000 USD? What percentage? A hundred basically 99. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, yeah, I'd say 97, 98. So it, it's a what, question of if it hits zero before it's a hundred. That's the only thing is like, yeah, I think it continues to go up until it, become it goes to zero right I, I think those are some good points not to derail this into all bitcoin stuff i do think there's more innovation and excitement around some of these other crypto assets and i think there'll be more problems solved through those protocols but bitcoin's story is very clear to me and i, I think the store of value makes sense digital gold whatever analogy and and to me the other compelling argument is just you know it's value relative to gold that you know as we're here right now according to uh Case for Bitcoin or casebitcoin.com, gold's market cap's 11.9 trillion, Bitcoin's 854 billion. Obviously, that's been converging, you know, in a big way for the last decade. Um, and I think both those asset classes in this current environment with everything going on in the world go up. And I think Bitcoin continues to converge uh, that ratio. Um, and that's a big part of my thesis why I think it's not like a certainty by any stretch. And I wouldn't say, like I said, it's more than 50%, but, you know, at least at some point in time in 2023, I'd guess it's like 65%, something, something that range, like a decent favorite. Um, and I could easily be wrong, but from a fundamental standpoint, just the story, everything else, this is the most bullish I've ever been on Bitcoin. Wow. Real, real quick. Cause I think about it often, it's obviously, at, you know, around 50 K right now, we all believe 99% chance it goes to a hundred thousand dollars, which is a two X. Has there ever been like we don't know the time frame, obviously. This is veering into the, financial advice. No, no, no. No, because I, no, I, I think about market, I, if yeah. you take S P and take two X the S P, I also think there's a 95, 97% chance, whatever the S P is at, multiply that by two, and it will eventually get there. Right. I actually oh, I think that's like 99.9. Exactly. I was more bold. I actually think chances like going to zero is like none. Yeah. I yeah. think and to be clear time. too, I'm not just trying to like be a crypto advocate, oh, price up only. I think there's a lot of risk in a lot of these other assets. I think NFTs have a lot of risk. I think um, across the board, there's a ton of challenges, but there's also more upside in those areas. There's just more uncertainty, more regulatory risk, um, bad actors, et cetera, et cetera. I just think the story for Bitcoin and what it is, is very simple. And I think the the regulatory risk in particular is a lot different than other crypto assets. 
I would say I'm more bullish on ETH. I think ETH has a higher um, short-term upside because of what's being built on it when you consider the adoption, when you consider the layer two solutions um, and just the larger arc there. Um, I think Bitcoin's safer, uh, but I think Ethereum has a higher upside. And yes, this has definitely turned into a financial advice. This is horrible. That's my bad. Sorry. <laughs> I, love you too. I love these other things. I just think there's a different risk profile. I think the range of outcomes is much wider. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, this is the most we've ever talked about Bitcoin on the show in a long time. I think Andy, you know, just pulls us naturally toward a Ethereum conversation. So, yeah. Was what about flow tokens? Mike? Can I buy them? Uh, there's not enough to do with flow tokens yet, to be honest. Like, a lot of platforms still take dapper balance instead of flow tokens. There's not that much infrastructure built out, which we're trying to change, obviously. Um and so I think, look, we're big believers in the flow ecosystem overall. So I think at some point there's there's an entry, but there's there's a bit of a lag right now where a lot of things need to be built out and integrate the actual underlying token. Um, but before I would provide financial advice along those lines. And right now, I would certainly not. We, we need to ask Clay or, or you over that to add presented by Underdog Fantasy and not financial, financial advice. advice. And, uh, yeah. yeah, that was the most financial advice we've ever veered towards, but we did no, we not give I had a not financial advice emoji there for the, uh, the VIPs at one point. Um, pump in the chat reminds me, Pete, you promised you were going to get into DeFi kingdoms once they were over on avalanche that has since transpired. Are you racking up some crystal with those juicy APRs? Dude, you want to hear what's hilarious is I was actually just in the midst of the show talking about jewel and avalanche uh, on telegram. So I'm super interested in it. I hope that uh, DeFi and these other things are gamified, and I'm still really interested in, in uh, just that whole ecosystem. And I think uh, DeFi Kingdoms has done a lot of really cool stuff, and I'm a big fan of Avalanche. So I'm excited to, to spend more time there. And uh, I own Jewel, but I do not. Uh, I'm not actively farming at this point, which is on my to-do list this week. Do you yeah, own I... Jewel like Elon owns Twitter, or you just own like some Jewel? <laughs> oh no, I don't know what the right. <laughs> Analogy is, I guess I own Jewel like Peter Jennings runs Twitter stock. I guess <laughs> not even not nowhere near Elon. Um, yeah, shout out to uh, Pomp. He he helped me get my Jewel from uh, the the truly awful Harmony ecosystem over to Avalanche, where it's running much smoother and got me uh, staked over there. So that's uh, awesome. It was yeah. pretty smooth. How much time did it take you? I mean, he was holding my hand, uh, it, but it only took about twenty to thirty minutes to get it all up and running there. That's great. That's on my to-do list this week. Yeah. Um, Pump, uh, I believe he he told me he was rebranding himself as um, the uh, DeFi Kingdom consult to the whales, which that was very generous to call me a whale. Uh, but yes, Pump Pump will uh, help you out if you need to. Um, let's see here. Uh, Justin, what about any, anything else with Top Shot? I don't want to um, move on too quickly from that, but anything you've been thinking about, stuff you guys have been building over at own the moment and how you guys, I assume that has to be kind of like a tricky dance to see what kind of stuff top shots doing, how they're developing their roadmap where you're thinking they're going to go as it pertains to what kind of tools you guys develop or where you devote your time. Yeah. And I mean, so they actually have a new person who is in charge of basically community or ecosystem engagement. And uh, he's been spearheading a lot of the, you know, recent efforts a couple weeks ago that we heard about with this, you know, $10 million fund and just working with a lot of the partners. And I think it goes back to what Roham said probably like a year ago now, where they want to 
the stronger the partners, the stronger the third parties become, the greater their larger ecosystem gets. And I always use a reference of Coinbase and what Coinbase Ventures did, where Coinbase success was going to be if crypto was got successful. So they used their venture capital to invest very heavily in these other teams, companies that were building crypto ecosystem. And so I think they understand that, hey, it makes sense to invest. And one example is, and uh, yeah, like NFL all day, I know TJ kind of leaked it or kind of uh, teased it last week, but we're going to be building a fantasy game for NFL all day moments. And uh, I mean, it makes complete sense. We built one for the owner's club. Those are our own NFTs uh, for them. Now let's find out a way to kind of add some additional engagement utility. And I think for people who are playing, you get the opportunity to do something you love with fantasy football, with these actual moments that you own. It adds utility and value to your moments. We'll have some prizes that Dapper will hopefully kind of help us out with and such. And obviously Dapper Labs and NFL All Day benefits from just additional fun and engagement around the product. And uh, I mean, so that's where like, hey, it's been fantastic continue to build for this community because the people who are still in the community and have kind of been here either from the beginning or are new to it, like they love this stuff. Like it's amazing to see the level of energy that comes. And uh, yeah, a lot of it then starts with the top shot. It moves over to things like the owner's club and such. And we're just hoping that through something like that all day fantasy game, we can bring more people into this larger, hey, utility-based version of NFTs. Um, and yeah. the other thing, yeah, go for it. No, I was just going to say, I'm curious kind of what, I, I mean, I don't know what you you guys are comfortable leaking right now. I mean, I thought the owner's club game, the way it was constructed was like perfect as far as from a time investment standpoint, but still being interesting strategically from some other, you know, games I've seen using Top Shot. Like I just never got hooked. It seemed like there was too much going on. It was hard to understand the scarcity and the points value. Like, are you going to kind of try to mirror, do you think, what you did with the owner's club or try to find some happy medium there because you obviously won't be able to control supply and scarcity for all day cards. Yeah. So I think it is a mix, but at the end of the day, everything we build is around simplicity and uh, the crypto and NFT ecosystem is already so complex. Like let's find ways to simplify. And that was the mantra for the owner's club was find ways to make a simplified fun version of this NFT based fantasy football. And I think with all day, we're still going to keep that kind of overarching, like, Hey, we want this to be simple. We want it to be fun. Now, there is additional complexity around, well, you've got defensive moments, you have punter and kicker moments, like you have team moments, like, do you incorporate these? That's things that we're going to have to continue to kind of just discuss and figure out. There might be some different models and stuff, but uh, I mean, I think at the end of the day, there's a lot of opportunity, but um, I agree with you. Complexity just be, like, it should be a fun game first and then find a way to work the NFTs in rather than yeah. start with all the NFTs and then figure out a game that works for those NFTs. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it seems tricky to do. It seems much easier to do when you have the self-contained system and you can control the, the rules and stuff like that. But I think that'll be a fun challenge. And it's what, I mean, someone was mentioning here. Uh, I don't understand. I don't know what the ballers game he's referencing, but of course, hardcore has been, this thing that's been been teased forever. And I think it probably just speaks to how hard it actually is to execute an engaging game with these NFTs. Think about how high the standards and the expectations are going to be around any video game in this space. And even though, yes, like early on, they mentioned they brought over people, I think, from ever um, from, oh, I'm forgetting the name of the companies, Blizzard and a couple other like the big gaming studios. But like, even if you have some people from there, like, 
we have expectations of video games being created, which is by a team that is crazy. We've heard all the horror stories of like what the EA sports employees like are trying to churn out. Like that's going to be really hard. And so I think it made sense that they realized that, Hey, this wasn't going to be as easy as we thought we were all initially building this for a few thousand people. And now we've got over a hundred thousands. Like I get why they pause on that and whether or not we even see it, who knows, like maybe the, like these flash challenges didn't exist when they first thought they were coming out with hardcore. Like they wanted a way to add utility and fun and engagement with the platform. And in the time that was hardcore, whether or not we eventually see that, I don't know. Is this utility now through these different methods, through challenges or through using third parties like OTM to actually build fantasy sports? Maybe. Yeah. Jack, do you still have any interest in kind of the gamification with these NFTs or do you prefer they, they remain kind of as collectibles? I I think the bottom end of the market moves 10 times better in a video game than it does with flash challenges that just mints more moments. Being able to play with them, I think, is a million times better. Mike's talked about how gamified it got to the point where it's kind of eliminated the top end of the market to a degree as collectibles. But yeah, I think a million times, like actually being able to play a video game with your stuff is way more impactful than just adding another showcase, you know, night in and night out. Yeah. Mike, do you still uh, kind of have your same take on, on the game stuff? I know you've been generally down on even kind of the flash challenges as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, it depends what people are looking for in the platform. If you're if you're joining the platform today and you enter it because you want to participate in these flash challenges and you want to kind of replicate DFS across this new technology, um, then I think it can definitely work for you. Um, but for the people who joined as a collectible platform and essentially wanted more of a sports cards 2.0 type experience, today it's so far swung <clears throat> to a gamified platform that it's impossible to look at how the market values moments today and justify a significant purchase right now because you know you can go out everyone's looking at everything in terms of how do i monetize this asset if i get a full set i get airdropped and i, I can sell that airdrop i'm getting you know people are stacking playoff players in advance of the playoffs in advance of these flash challenges and so you know the collectible nature of retired players of scarcer assets of series one to the extent you care about that of higher end legendary players or things like that they don't come into play for a lot of what matters from a utility standpoint and so kind of and even if they did come into play you can never really justify a two hundred thousand dollar purchase of, of a moment based on the underlying utility if your goal is utility you should take that pile of cash and go buy season tickets go buy Go buy yourself and 10 buddies floor tickets uh, for, for the Nuggets Nets finals, <laughs> a anything like that, because it's far better than you could possibly hope to get from a utility standpoint of the underlying asset. So either it's Dapper's saying, you know, th this is a utility driven market, in which case the entire market will continue to warp toward that in terms of everything that Dapper's rewarding in the near term um, will we'll trade up. Everything that's kind of left behind based on the structures they've shown us will continue to trend down. And people, the, the game becomes, let's guess what Dapper rewards next, not let's collect players, teams, plays, series, sets that we actually like and want to own. And 
for for me, it, you know, it's it's not why I joined the platform. I, you know, I thought that it was interesting to collect players that I like, people from the teams that I like, and so it's it's a little bit, but it's it's hard to see the platform get warped the way it it has. And if if this is the path going forward, like okay, at some point you got, I guess you rip the bandaid off and the market readjusts in that direction. Um, but it's just it's very very different from what it used to be like. I would say agree. It got warped totally with you there. The collect what you love thing. It's a huge thing in the sports car world. There's a world like you can do that, but everyone also understands that it's all like you got on the platform to make money or just the fact that you could make money. Maybe the intent wasn't to turn X into X, but it was like you are buying something that could kind of gain value. And so that's where I agree. Like it's completely changed in that regard. People can still buy what they love. Yeah, maybe the pricing on it is a little fucked up because of different challenges or different, you know, team sets causing that. But overall, now it's not I make a bet on a player as a collectible. It has the chance if that player performs to go up. That's what's obviously disappointing. Yeah, and I mean, too, when you think about stuff as collectibles, I mean, the most important thing for a value of a collectible is scarcity. And and so early on, too, and I can see why, I mean, you guys got in really early, but on the other hand, it was maybe hard to envision the level of printing of moments that was going to come. And it just goes back to that different thing. Justin had the phrase earlier about our incentives maybe closer aligning with dappers now than they were before where it's like as collectors we care about scarcity when they are you know care about onboarding new people to the platform which means putting lots of new inventory out there i, I mean i just don't i don't know if it's an nft thing i don't know if it's a generational thing i don't know what it is but it, it seems there's kind of no one on the platform who just wants to like own an asset because it's fun to uh, own a sports collectible. i mean you look through the comments here people want a stake for flow they, you know, they want more activity, more flash challenges, more rewards, whatever. I was like, it's it's strange to me that this collectible platform has evolved into you need to pay me, otherwise I immediately want to sell it. I think it's I think it's because everything about NFTs has been buying, selling, and then what I can do with it, and that's risen so quickly in the past year from people knowing nothing about NFTs to like this is the entire sense of it. So even though the technology allows you to truly own that thing, and it is just like I truly own that, like I have a picture on my wall, that's not the understanding or the sense or the belief that the majority of people have. Because when every other NFT project at least has the potential to do what the Bored Apes did or to do what different art projects or such did, that that's where it's what can this NFT do for me, not just what is this thing that I own and it can have as a whatever it is, whether it's a collectible asset, et cetera. It's exactly, it's exactly that. Mike, no one was no one wanted utility when the pricing was up on Top Shot. Who the fuck cared about utility? The utility was you could put it on the marketplace and they give you a ridiculous amount of money for it. Right now, I agree. No one's just buying it to hold and thinking long term because literally every single moment that is purchased unless it's gamified, goes down in value. I know, but that, that, but, that's, that's, it's, but it's circular. Like It's because of the gamification that happens. If gamification wasn't an option, then everything else is on a, a level. I don't think so. 
I think oh, it's no, because I, I, I think the market might be catching gamification to some and not to others, which is essentially what they've done. Basically, says these are worth something; these aren't because the moments become not collectibles; they become tools to money. Agreed. But if you didn't do that, so you've identified a problem, but it's not that that problem without it would agree lead to this solution. Because otherwise, all it's going to be is just new pack, shiny new toy. Pete's always said people love lotteries. If I have a chance at getting something great, even if I'm pushing money out of the ecosystem, the challenge is, is that we have the same amount of people and a certain amount of money. And when every week, a certain amount of that money is going to Dapper Labs, going to Top Book Shot through new packs, through 5% marketplace fees, money is leaving the ecosystem. And slowly but surely, that leads to all the prices going down. So agree with you that the gamification makes some go up and then others move down even more. And the ones that are going down move even more are you know, the legendaries, the ones that are never involved in this action. Overall, the market just continues to, money slowly gets kind of pulled out of it. And, and there's no new users. It's like yeah, a, it's a, it's a, it's a bad balance of, of, of the new users and the amount of supply, not a... I mean, even with this gamification, is that actually bringing in new users? It doesn't appear so. So the, everyone's selling into these flash challenges, which are that people are rewarded by getting new moments. So it, it, it's in some ways, it's just packs packaged in, in another way. Dappers doesn't have, a, a, you know, they're just putting new moments into circulation. They generate fees from the marketplace activity from these challenges. And there's no new money coming into the system. Um, and, and so is that a better solution to just kind of, torpedo half the moments on the platform make it so that instead of caring about whether it's steph curry or lebron james you care if it has the lowest edition size because of some unusual challenge situation and that becomes far more important than the player the play the team the set or anything else it just seems unsustainable and like a bizarre frankenstein version of the platform that i think we all expected it to be uh, yep i'm I, gonna oh. no you go Herzi. okay i'm gonna give a little peek behind the curtain because this is the thing that has been wildly discussed amongst like our team and something that I've been really interested in. But if you look at so rare, it is amazing what they have been able to do where they mint NFTs. They sell these NFTs through auctions. People pay large amounts of money. Why? So that they can have these NFTs, so they can play in games. And then what do they win when they win those contests? Majority of it is they just win more NFTs. Now, there's a small thing where you get like a 0.2 ETH or something, and it's like a, a very small part of the ecosystem. But in general, it is you are paying lots of money for NFTs so you can win more NFTs. And when you win those NF new NFTs, you get great players that can help you enter more contests and win more NFTs. But you to can go sell win. those NFTs. And yes, agreed. But who are you selling them to? You're selling them to other people who want to buy them. So they can also go win more contests to win this more NFTs. play to earn model where it's like it's, at some point, it's like, how does this sustain itself? Right. And like the dynasty model there is really interesting where in Top Shot, the LeBron moments we believe are always going to have tremendous value. Even when he retires, maybe even more value. A Cristiano Ronaldo NFT on So Rare, its value is in the utility in the game platform. When he retires... Yes, it's an NFT and you have this cool rare NFT of Cristiano Ronaldo, but that platform is gamified. No one actually cares about that moment when he retires because you can't use it to win NFTs. And it's amazing that like how they've been able to build a sustainable ecosystem. And as you say, it's a play to earn that maybe eventually the bottom falls out. But, but Ronaldo's value on so rare is not anywhere near the top of the charts. 
So it kind of is reflecting that. Oh, I, I'm agreeing. Right, right. Yeah. And it's just at what point, because if all you're doing is, it is does feel like a bit of the Ponzi, it is the play to earn, and the biggest risk of all play to earn is eventually the bottom falls out, then where is the value here? And like with the owner's club, a lot of it was like, hey, we come from the DFS model. We come from the kind of sports. Like we're going to give back a million and a half of the two million because there's actual utility there. Like, sure, if we could invent something that like you're going to win other NFTs and build this, like, yeah, it is wildly more profitable, but it doesn't make sense in a long term. And uh, it's extremely impressive what Sorare has done. And if they can make this a sustainable model long term, that's amazing. I don't think, and I know DraftKings wants to do something similar with their NFLPA. It's going to be extremely hard to repeat. Yeah. And the other thing too, I mean, when you think at the essence of, you know, what are these companies wanting to do? And like, you know, any media company, what do they want to do? They want your eyeballs. They want your attention. They want you to stay hyper engaged. It's hard for a company to view themselves strictly as a collectible platform and then also keep that engagement. Like things like flash challenges and you can extend it to content stuff. That is a way to literally engage the community on a daily basis. Make it feel like you have to go to the site and check in and see there's something I have to do. That's good for Top Shot to have a Pavlovian response to you having to go to the site every day. And so you can see from a company standpoint why they are incentivized to do flash challenges as well, just because they want to keep the users on the site constantly. Oh, you can raise so much money on engagement metrics. It's disgusting. That was the first metric that the so rare CEO threw out on Pomp on Joe Pomp's podcast. It was like their people are on the site for over an hour and a half a day. Like, yeah, that's exact in a world where I can't get someone to watch, you know, a 10 second TikTok. Like that's a bizarre. And so for all these reasons that we're talking about, that is exactly why I believe at the mid to low tier, you can gamify the ecosystem. And sure, it may throw off, you know, from time to time a moment that shouldn't be worth more than another. But I do think there is a separation of church and state. Like, I still think the valuable moments can be collectibles and you can still use them as utility, but that's not what the main value in them is. But, but you know, we talk a lot about scarcity and such. There still is like an incredible amount of scarcity on the site. If you reach 10 million people, you get 10 million in like a 10,000 Kevin Durant is actually somewhat of a scarce moment. And then you get into, you know, legendaries. Those are hyper scarce. Sure. The Bruce Browns for 60 K like those don't, those shouldn't, no one's buying them unless for the gamified reason. So I think that sometimes the printing is overblown. I think it's dumb if you go and chase like every new pack after new pack at this point, just moving down the line, we need to make it so you want to, the, the whole goal is you got to make it so people covet legendaries. And that's what it is in sports cards. There's these cards that you want to have one day. And so you build your collection one day, you can trade it in and you can upgrade to the next level of Kevin Durant. And it's just like, there isn't that feeling right now because maybe it's super gamified, but I think there is a separation that can happen. I don't know. I think part of the challenge is the current model who would attracts to the table here right now. Like the most excited people over the platform are the people who are on their computer at 4 59 PM ready to look at the flash challenge and quickly maneuver to make $4 per trade. And it's, it's, it's interesting. It's fun for, for people who want to do that, but it's very, very unapproachable and, 
unexciting for people who want sports memorabilia and sports collectibles. And you almost can't be a passive owner today. If you just want to go and buy a LeBron James Top Shot debut and hold on to it and see what happens, like, sure, there's going to be times when, like, there's flash challenges where you have to participate there. There's temporary spikes in value. And I think all of these things I'd feel a lot better about if it wasn't three times a week, four times a week, constantly flashing lights everywhere, uh, you know, warping the market, doing all these things where it's like, okay, there, you know, there's an element of utility and an element of this is better than sports cards. But at the end of the day, you know, the most interesting thing is to collect good players and to collect scarce assets, not to, again, just try and forecast what staff are going to do next. And the best thing you can do on the platform right now is look at what happened over the last three months, what sets were arbitrarily rewarded, what play types were arbitrarily rewarded, throw those out, probably buy everything else. Because there's clearly some bingo board in the dapper room somewhere where they said, okay, we just hit that pack. We just hit that pack. We just hit that pack. And at some point you'll get to all the packs. And it's like, what kind of platform is that? Yeah, I'm still waiting on my seeing star set that right, I but, but that's the thing. Like a, we- a week before the all-star it. moments drop. Yeah, every every set holder now expects it because they decided that I don't know, got game just got re- uh, rewarded for the most recent set. Like I have a got game set I mean, uh, from series one. So I just got airdropped a pack. It's like, I don't know what the two have to do with each other, but I got airdropped a pack because they're just spinning the wheel saying this set now, then this set now, then this set now. And it just feels, I, I get the idea of incentivizing holding. It just feels r- random. And like, again, the, 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 the entire game of Top Shot right now is who can best predict what Dapper does next or react the fastest to dapper's latest announcement um justin you sent me this old exchange here from a little over a year ago uh walk me through what was being discussed here yeah so this was january 13th 2021 which was probably the day after bales's tweet and uh, it was funny when you referenced like the 10k of durant like i was thinking back to well this is similar to i remember when we were doing this back math and napkin math like the hardened and uh like was just trying to figure out like from an actual speculative aspect with like okay how many people can we bring in what is too much and it was funny like this was literally day one of thinking about top shot and i think like if you scroll down a little you have peter who responded with he's like that's the exact same what do you say great question. that's trying to figure out this stuff as well like we were thinking about this literally from our first day into top shot um and it's interesting to think like okay how would we kind of look back on market caps of players relevance for how many people could eventually be on the platform number of moments per and such like it hasn't <laughs> this this is this it just, it's just interesting to see like hey how long ago that conversation started yeah, yeah. the sports stock market's still the the greatest <laughs> idea and also the worst idea um actually i bet bash there's more people trying this idea no one's been able to pull it off um i still think it's the most interesting concept but how do you actually create a market where people can go long and short these players and like what do you tie it to um i think you had it right with the schwimmer situation that you were talking about last week and like it has to be tied to the actual future earnings um and i think if you do it with the marketing dollars it's possible um but i like the tatis example is really interesting yeah that's so hard i mean and I do think that it's interesting. I'm more on the utility side, just as like a person. I've never been like big into collectibles and then I got into NFTs, but I get it. And, you know, Jeremy has been really heavily like these need to stay collectibles. Um, 
And a lot of smart people like Scott Lewis, another person, it's like a collectible can be worth whatever you want it to be worth. Um, and I think those dynamics end up being better, especially for high end moments uh, or high end so, collectibles. So but, do you think a collectible can also have utility? Because I came from the collectible world and what excited me was it is a collectible first. That's what excites me about Top Trap. But yep. the bonus of utility was really, really interesting to me. Yeah, I don't have the answer. I wish I did. I, I, to me, the most interesting thing with Top Shot is the partnership with the NBA, the digital ownership, and basically enhancing like the NBA experience. So I love that stuff, but I also totally understand what Mike's saying. Totally understand what Jeremy's saying, and you know, you can argue both sides pretty well. So I don't know. It's a tough challenge. I do agree that like the worst case is like the middling more towards utility but still trying to keep them collectibles where you're just like creating all these different things to make certain moments where something and others not like that's a horrible experience. Like predicting what Dapper is going to do. That's what it shouldn't be. But um, yeah, like I, maybe, maybe the answer is you burn like anytime you want to redeem something for uh, an NBA experience, you have to burn assets and yes, maybe, I mean, that's what trade tickets are basically. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But again, trade, it's just so tough because trade tickets end up hitting the floor. And uh, like, and I'm not, there's not a great solution for it because the only way to really make it appropriate is if you base it off current market value and they really don't want to do that for a lot of legal reasons. But so the what one, about, so, so I agree that the one thing they've said that's sort of um, feels like it's in that direction is that collector scores calculation will factor in more of a spend bonus, which basically means it's not just going to be every single series to um, base set moments worth like two points or four points or whatever it is. If you spent more on a series two base moment, you'll get further rewarded collector score wise, which I think is one way to capture it. But I, I, yeah, I think we, we talked about this when collector score first came out, where it's, if this is not directly tied to a market value of assets, it's going to make it so that every moment within every set is going to just converge on the same value eventually, if collector score is worth that much to people. Yeah. KB, our guy KB mentioning something here. If I could floor sweep a hundred two dollar moments, sign me up. Unbearable trying to stack those outside of packs. And we've seen, you know, the success of some of these other NFT marketplace aggregators like Gem, which make it so easy for people to make big bets on these projects in a very quick, seamless way. I mean, that's another thing too of just even making the act of of purchasing and buying for whales a more fun. And, you know, easier experience, I think, would, would go a long way. I will say the custody of the taking them off of Dapper, like, even though I think majority of people didn't really understand, like, what that could open up, we can basically build out aggregators like this. Um, it's a, you know, obviously not a top priority right now, but, like, we hinted towards, like, we're going to have a trade mechanism. Um, those yeah. things will come. This, yeah, but it, it may rely on third parties. Right. Yeah, have you guys... Have we heard any other story? Obviously, Mike, with with floaty stuff, have you heard about people um, taking into their own hands some of the self custodial stuff, or are people a little still slow on no, that? There's definitely stuff being built. It, it, it first, I mean, there's building on flow is uh, it's it's interesting. It's new. There's a lot of positives about it, but there aren't that many developers that know cadence flow smart contract language. There's a backlog of flow's uh, contract review process you have to submit your contract to flow to get 
reviewed before they allow you to deploy on the, on the Flow mainnet. And so there are some hurdles and some friction building on Flow. I think we'll see a lot of development, a lot of innovation soon over the next few months. And a lot of people are working on things. And like our, our developers interact with the other Flow developers and, and people are working together on building out standards across the, the ecosystem and across the blockchain, which will be really, really helpful and interesting. And, you know, we all bat these idea, ideas around. There's lots of other people doing the same thing and saying, okay, let's go build that. And, and so there'll be a bit of a lag. But now that Top Shot's officially non-custodial and hopefully NFL and UFC not too far away, there's going to be a lot of opportunities for people to build a lot of things uh, around these assets. For sure. Um, Pump says uh, the marketplace on all day is definitely is infinitely better than Top Shot. I did want to segue a little bit over to all day stuff. They did also have a post a couple days ago with some updates here um, with their marketplace, some rewards, um, upcoming releases, and also uh, teasing this Brett Favre in Friends um any takes from you guys justin uh you mentioned you guys were going to be building out a game with all day moments but what have been your thoughts on the nfl all day experience so far to this point yeah i mean i think what i mentioned earlier around it sounds like dapper labs understands that their incentives need to align with ours and i think a great example of that was any players who already have comments are not going to have another common in those weeks one to twelve that was a huge question mark for people that were thinking about whether i want to invest or purchase moments not knowing what was coming so i think that's a major plus and again like it's a small drop in the hat in the grand scheme of things but it's far more important to show that hey they understand and they're making these decisions that are in the interest of the consumers now hopefully that doesn't mean that we're now going to get a bunch of players that we don't recognize like we saw in the kind of early week 13 week 14. um it may be an example of like hey that's just the unfortunate side effect i'm not sure um but overall i don't know i'm like i think everyone knows i'm a huge nfl guy i love the football more than far more than any other sport um but i've been my, my collection it's the same thing that my my hopes for top shot early on is that i could buy that legendary Jokic, and when he wins mvp it profits um but i think right now you need to have larger macro belief in the platform um, so I think early on I was buying a decent amount of the players that I thought like DJ Moore, I got a whole bunch of, cause there was values and things yeah. like that, but there's going to be a long off season. There's not going to be any utility, um, from a gamification, at least until the season starts, like it's iffy. Um, but I also probably, you know, do it from a fun aspect, but, um, yeah. I bought I bought my first moments off the marketplace. I don't know if I necessarily agree with the sentiment that all days marketplace is better. Maybe. Yeah, what's is, yeah, pump? Can you tell us what's better about it? Yeah, I, mean, I think it's fine. I don't have any complaints, but yeah, no, no complaints. But I definitely think top shots like the fact that I even have to go to a different tab kind of pisses me off. But besides that, uh, I bought two Tom Brady debuts. The thing that will be really interesting, and Herzig, you just said you thought that DJ Moore had a bunch of value. That makes me think, are you talking in regards to other young wide receivers or when it comes to fantasy? No, I was, I was thinking more of just if I'm going to invest in this platform, it's probably going to be QBs and wide receivers. Uh, yeah. Running backs, the career length is just so short. Yeah. And like what we saw, literally Adrian Peterson has a moment on here. It's likely going to be his only one and nobody cares. Like that's yeah. insane. 
So, so uh, yeah, yeah. In in cards, my belief was with the way players' brands are growing off the field, that running backs, but really wide receivers, would kind of start to see some action in the market. And like NFL trading cards, it is just quarterbacks. Like you don't even remotely look at anywhere else. And even even the star wide receivers, like yeah, they're shelf life is technically longer than the running backs but they still like think about michael thomas you know the up and down of his career he leads the league in receptions and then two years later so um it'll be interesting to see if it's only from a fantasy perspective that those guys kind of bump up or if people do because it is easier to collect and to trade these things if you do see a market for some other positions which i think would be fun I don't really see a market for like defense or running backs or the team melts. Maybe some people are pretty bullish on those, but I'll say this. I was with Dapper um, in Going Vegas. Going to Dua Lipa concerts. Yeah. yeah, Dua Lipa, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and we went through the, we went through what it looks like to be onboarded to the site, right? To top shot. You open a starter pack. My buddy got the worst pack ever. And then it's like new, new user. Where the fuck do I go from there? You search John Morant, 42 different moments, different scarcity, different highlights, series, whatever. And so, you know, we're the most into top shot one could be. I go on all day. I have no clue what to buy. I'm on OTM trying to figure out like, where should I even start with this? So I tweeted out, I got a little guidance, but that is also a huge, huge, and it's a huge part problem in the sports car world too. Like people just don't know where to buy and how to be onboarded. So whoever kind of figures that out, that's going to be really, really big. Um, just helping onboard new users and helping them figure out what, but it goes back to Mike's point. Like how could we make a suggestion on where to start when we don't know what's going to even matter, not value wise, like even matter in the grand scheme of things. So Definitely part of the complication. Question to you. Like, if you could buy from OTM site, would you? Would that be a better experience? Yeah, I was I was playing around with some of the tools, right? Like, I think the percentage movements and insight into that. And I read one of the articles. I thought that was super helpful. If I could buy, like, absolutely, that would help. And if it linked straight to it, right, you guys made suggestions or – there were, you know, those top trending. Absolutely. Like, and I don't think that anyone is naive to say no. It's just such a, you're just thrown into this world of like, what the fuck am I looking at? Where do I start? And there's only two Tom Brady moments at, you know, currently. And what happens when there's 10 next year? Like, then then you're really going to be lost. Um, Justin, I just thought of how you guys do the NFL all day fantasy game. So, you know, talking about some of the other NFT, almost like daily style games that just didn't really hook me and seemed a little convoluted, where you take the best ball mentality, but you push it out to a dynasty best ball like experience where the dynasty element one actually plays into the stock market element a little bit more. You make a bet on DJ Moore if he improves over the course of a period of time that ends up being valuable if there's prizes on top of it it works as a de facto staking mechanism because you are tying up that nft 
for however long of a dynasty league you sell sign up for. Is it a year, a two? You want to get in a five-year dynasty league and make some bets with your fixed roster and these guys don't unlock different prize pools for different lengths? Just how about that NFL? would have me yeah. intrigued. NFL all day best ball. I think that that satisfies it from a more simplistic standpoint and not having like to deal with leagues and just have like a, Hey, you have off season. You have until this date to purchase whatever moments you want. You have to submit your lineups by this date. You can have X amount of lineups. Maybe there's a two different tournaments. One, you can only do one, one, you can do a max. You have to stake them throughout. Um, the staking is a little challenging because if you're going to stake them with us, you have to take them off the top shot or off the all day platform. Um, and if you then want to do challenges and stuff, it gets a little complicated. Um, but no, I, th I think you're onto something. I think it'd be really interesting. Yeah. Uh, Dale is in. Um, but yeah, and even maybe it doesn't even, I don't know exactly the, the mechanisms for the staking, but it might just be like, sure. It can still be on, all day but if you pull it out then you're no longer eligible to win those prizes if it moves i don't know how that works from a contract standpoint but um we it does ping. seem like yeah we could do like a weekly ping and if you don't have at that time your lineup is invalid and, and usually in these cases we spend so much time worrying about these edge cases when if we just make it a rule that like people aren't going to abuse it and the ones yeah. that you know they just their lineups invalid and then for people like MBL or, or even me that don't want to mess with this. Like I know I'm holding my Tom Brady or my DJ board. Well, Tom Brady would be an interesting conversation from a, a dynasty standpoint, but you know, I'm not going to touch my DJ more. He's going to be in the league for five plus years. I, I'm, I'm happy to get some long-term utility out of him knowing I don't plan to flip him anyways. And it, it literally takes it out of supply for that duration of time. Yeah. Um, all right. That could I'll be also add, just the concept, the problem with Top Shot and all day right now is everyone thinks about it in like these one week or one day terms. If you actually created something that said, hey, this is going to confirm this is going to be around for five years. I think that would just help with like the general confidence of the market because who knows at this point, but realistically it will be. They have the license, like they're not going anywhere. They'll be out of beta eventually and i think just having a place where you could stake something for two years and be like yeah this will still be here when i get back is actually powerful for them i think rohan did say in a tweet that they've got at least 10 years at the nba or at least the initial right. contract was 10 years yeah. and now we're, we're a year and a half in yeah uh rohan said it's a 100 year project so i don't even care how long the license is with the NBA, baby. We're taking these to the grave. So what I was everything we're describing, you know, Justin's describing and, you know, building in utility and fantasy games and all that kind of stuff off platform. I think like I'm all for that. People can do whatever they want, like off the platform. I just think what is driven by Dapper, it feels weird and it warps the market in a strange way. And it feels like artificial and, random and it's like kind of what are we doing if they had something where it's like you get some sort of reward if your guy is like if you have a player at a certain tier who's like a top five mvp vote getter or something like that so you can like buy and sell based on the actual performance in the game but the, the goal is your player performs well not that, that he fits into a strange box that dapper established for the night something like that i would find more interesting um, and, and like, you know, the, the, the games we're describing here and the, the concepts we're describing here, 
you know, this all makes sense. They're your own assets. You can do whatever you want with it. You can take Pokemon cards or physical cards and build your own game around them. And if you can build a community around that, like, fantastic. I'm all for it. It just feels a bit strange and I guess somewhat artificial when it's, it's, there's so much meddling in, with the, what's supposed to be a free market. So if you go back to Peter's with the sports stock market, a lot of the reason why it always fails is lack of liquidity and no underlying asset backing it. Um, in this situation, if we say that collector score is the value mechanism for top shot or whatever it is, and based off performance on a given night, your moment can increase or decrease collector score value. And then at the end of the year, yes, the badges were in part supposed to add value based off their success as a team or whatever. Maybe there's a, hey, all-star game collector score. That moment gets an extra value. There's something. But again, that would still tie to us determining that collector score is the end-all, be-all, which I don't think is ideal. But so I who's think that's determining the collector score? Yeah. Right. That's interesting. I mean... Someone's going to crack the code. I mean, the Star Street original one based on fantasy points is like a pretty interesting game. I mean, it's kind of like Dynasty or Best Ball. You, if you're bullish on a guy, you buy them and based on their projected fantasy points by the market, and if they exceed, you make money, and if they don't, you lose. But, yeah, it's not liquid enough and the swings aren't big enough. Like, you want to really be able to profit when you hit on something. Right, and who are you profiting off is the question because unless you have someone actually taking the other side of it, you've got to be going against the house. And if you're going against the house, you now need to actually come up with a structure where they can still be profitable to run this business, but also provide you with enough upside and also not be falling into the sports betting gambling territory. Yeah, I mean, it has to be peer-to-peer -peer where maybe they're not taking the short on the other side, but they're betting on other people, which is inflating the pot. But even that becomes a challenge, and that goes back to the big league advance thing, where you actually are creating value is betting on the person who, you know, uh, has all of their financial livelihood and their families and, you know, generations to come potentially and, you know, securing a baseline lifestyle while still enabling them to participate in like that super high upside, but also getting the benefit, like, you know, the big league advance guys invested in Fernando Tatis. I mean, what did he get? 300, $400 million. So obviously he's not getting 300, 400 million now and, He's still going to do really well, but in the event that he had some crazy injury or whatever else happened and become the star, then that initial liquidity that he got could still be beneficial. But that's a whole other conversation and, and tricky thing to figure out as well. Should we wrap up with some packs? Does anyone have packs to to rip? Should, should we go to circle and all say one nice thing? Yeah, someone. I think it was. Uh, I think it was Zach in the chat wanted us to say uh, one nice thing. I think, I mean, we opened at the top. I mean, the 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 whole NBA Top Shot announcement for how their roadmap stuff for the playoffs, I think, is is very exciting and executing on a lot of the things we've been hoping for. So are, are we saying a nice thing or no? Yeah, the I, nice. I, didn't, I wasn't going to make us go around the horde, but speak well, your, it's nice. speak it's your a, truth. I, don't, care. <laughs> I, I actually don't think that that whole segment is is duping on them at all like no. i guess mike with your opinions on the gamification to a degree um which is you know fair you're obviously allowed to critique but uh i think they're proving that they're listening they're proving that they care about you know things that happen we don't want them to be too reactive it's all about a balance but they're testing and you know 
our guy Fenster said, like they're in beta. I, like it's tough to tough to stomach. You know, I'm like number one anti beta on the show, but they're in beta and they're testing like a bunch of different shit, which is really encouraging. They brought utility for the playoffs. They're thinking about the community. Pack breaking's coming. Bid is coming. And so they're I, I just like that they're actually trying. And even if they're failing, they're trying and failing and trying and failing. And so maybe they're gonna crack the code along the way. I think it's awesome. Like what I while the results may not say it's awesome, like I think what they're what they've done over the last few months has been spectacular. And it really does make me bullish. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to go buy moments because I still do think, you know, my shit will be worth less tomorrow. And so I think for a lot of people, they don't really care. They just want to see their stuff go up. But I think their performance of the last couple months has shown they're, they're very thoughtful about what they're doing, even if it's just trying different stuff. So that's my nice thing. Nice. Are we going in this in a circle? Should, should go? <laughs> Mike, Mike really wants a formal. <laughs> well, he feels yeah. bad. He's feeling guilt. He's feeling very feeling guilty. guilty. I'm not feeling guilt. I'm, I'm feeling fine. I think it's important to deliver criticisms as well because they try all these things. If they don't get feedback, they don't know what people like and what they don't like. Yeah. Um, first of all, my complaint for you, Jack. Actually, not Jack. Jack and show. That's two Fenster shout-outs in one show, and I'm not going to hear the end of it. He's going to be so proud of himself. He probably texted me already. He should be. He and the thing be. about that, too, is I would allow it if Fenster was a regular comment, but he kind of picks in spots. He's a little flighty. With I agree. I agree. Yeah. But I think he's watching. He's got a kid. I think he's, he's, got a kid. Yeah, he's, he's got like a lot a of stuff going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's sure. a Bills yeah. fan. Like, you know, yeah. there's a lot of questionable things with him. But Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's, he's a weird cool. dude. Um, yeah. uh, anyway, so – yeah, um, I'll, I'll keep mine short and sweet. I think a lot of what Jack described is is right. I agree. And it's important for us all to remember they're trying things. They're testing things. It's a new market. It's a new space. They're trying to push the bill on what like sports collectibles can be. Um, I've you know kind of explained what I don't love about the current form of gamification. I get why they're doing it. I get why a lot of people like it. Um, I think what might be a happy medium is have levels and elements of gamification but not uh don't lead with that where it's the featured announcement four times a week and not much else happens on the platform where it should be i don't know maybe once every once a week once every two weeks or something like that but scale down the gamification a little bit um and and try i'm, I'm not sure exactly in what form but this is not what i'm paid for try and get back to the collectible side of things a bit where it's it's interesting that there's a Shaq debut and there's a reason to own a Shaq debut um, or, or there isn't um, heavy utility reasons to own everything else except for a Shaq debut to even the playing field a, a little bit across the collectible nature of it. And so I think they're doing a lot of good things. They're making a lot of good announcements. They're trying things, all good stuff. Um, I just think the gamification has gone too far. Get out of here, Fenster. Look at that thumbnail. Though. That's a nice picture. <laughs> Um, also one other real quick, uh, not to, you know, mess up our kumbaya circle here, but last week we drafted, uh, underdog playoff best ball team on here. That was a lot of fun. I was flying blind with my mega buck stack, but I wanted to give a shout out to John Jackson, who has put together basically the ultimate cheat sheet for how to do these drafts. It's basically flow charts 
for the various uh, teams helping you, you know, concentrate on your correlation as you move throughout the draft. So absolutely incredible work by John Jackson. And uh, I'm sure people like Herzig are frustrated with analysis like this leaking out there, but uh, hop in these underdog best ball drafts. If you haven't, Justin, how many of these have you ripped off? I've done zero. I'm still tilting from this past weekend. Uh, Booker not playing that game finished about 12 points out of first place in the whole season NBA playoff, but uh, still took down a nice little prize, but third, third's not bad. There you go. There you go. No, um, no one feels that bad for you, Justin. You <laughs> I, I, I actually, every time he posts another screenshot of a top three finish, I'm like, fuck this guy. But I will say that's actually pretty tough. I know the whole season, you know, but one performance from Booker and who would have surely, I'm sure, gotten there. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Yeah, that's okay. The playoff uh, format is honestly like my favorite. Best. So it's good. The the football, and the NFL playoff best ball is just the stone nuts. I, I actually, I'm not. You got a ring? <laughs> What's up? Where's your ring? <laughs> I got a ring, yeah. Up here. I mean, look at, look at how nice this thing oh, is. Man. I mean. What is that? Yeah. Oh shit! Yeah, that's let's just, big dog, can we start right? talking about underdog a little bit more? I mean, that's that Justin with his belt. <laughs> wow! He... I miss uh... my days of grinding the three mans with uh, Justin too. I need to get back in the the best ball streets more this year. Those were the draft days. I'm not draft. even excited for the NBA one because I have no clue. Like NFL this year, at least I could make like my lineups based on who I thought now it's just like, who's coming out of the East. Who's coming. Like that's why it's so fun. Build a bunch of stacks. It's awesome. Yeah. But then it goes to like the nerds like Herzig who just like, they don't care about the teams of the players. They're just numbers on a screen who they're correlating. That's a mischaracterization, Jack. All it is is your lineup has to tell a story. Jack. As long as it's a, so let me be honest. Um, I'm also mad because I've drafted two teams that are literally dead today because i drafted like one big on one team and i drafted one wing and it was draymond fucking green on the other so i'm gonna go read john jackson's shit and get in there head of, head of so, winning needs to ship something soon so that nba best ball full season it had massive overlay and i didn't really pay attention much until the day of so i just auto drafted 150 drafts like, like with your, your ranking, ROI? was it was it your ranking? Mostly ETR. I did some customization. Gotcha. Every ten or five, every ten or fifteen, I would change it. I you know did some research on like the optimal structure and stuff. But uh, like I didn't actually manually draft any of those. But I didn't think that was that important in NBA. Um, yeah. I I adjusted rankings for who was playing, like how many games and playoffs and such like that. But I didn't think correlation was as important in that large of a season. But. How did it go? It I didn't third. go well. Yeah. He didn't win. Third. He's a loser. Right. He's yeah. a fucking loser. I should have, I should have stacked. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. We're going to change the plans in the, in the private chat. Instead of a pack opening, Justin uh, had a very good suggestion for a little round of Laden thinks here, a walk-off Laden thinks on what one of you guys thinks you would shoot at Augusta tomorrow. And Justin has volunteered his uh, his handicap of nine. But who wants to? I feel like Pete's too good 
for... I'll go. Use me as the... Should we use Mike as a... Do you have a handicap? What do you normally shoot, Mike? No idea. I, 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 no, but we're, I... we're trying to guess Justin. The hard part is, like, who's going to be the... We're trying to guess what else, someone else thinks Justin would shoot, right? Oh, well, is that what we're trying to do? No, because right. didn't Justin put out a tweet? Yeah, I was curious. Yeah, someone so... else. Yeah. yeah. You already... Did you think... Did you put out a tweet what you think you'd shoot? So... My so there was two, like fodder around it. Yeah. So my know, three friends was... and I, I'll, I'll add this because this was public. Um, my three friends and I, one is a plus one to minus plus one to two handicap. He thinks he'd shoot a 101. My two, the two he other, shoot a no, 101. Why? We these greens, like no, no practice, matter, first time. Though. Those that's, greens that's insane. You're you're having 45 putts. So yeah, and obviously you have to hold everything. Yeah, yeah, putting putting everything out, playing it from the where they're playing the tournaments. You're doing, yeah. That's this guy has no clue. One on one, if he's a legit plus one to a two, he's that's that's just ass. Yeah, line. there's yeah, there's. there's I have no friends like, who play it all the time. I mean, like no members. I mean, I know the conditions are a little different, but like, yeah. I for for instance, my buddy is a plus three played it recently, um, and somewhat similar conditions. Uh, they did a stroke play bet, so you had to hold everything. He's a plus three, but he shot 71. Like, it's not like he played well. And, and he's played the course before, and he said he normally shoots high 70s. It's just, it's not a one on one. All right. Who's... I would shoot a one on one. We're running out of people to give their guests. I, I answered the tweet, so I don't know if I'm the best example here. Oh boy! All right, I said 175. Like you want to do me? <laughs> yeah, we can do. Yeah, I like but, the nine. I think the like the ten handicap. What does a ten handicap shoot? In but now we have too yeah. much contact. I was gonna say now we're we're too dialed in. It's Peter I who we've given no context <laughs> to this situation. I don't know much. <laughs> The, the debate in the replies was what Siege was going to shoot. He says he's an 18, and uh, obviously he came up with a very aggressive um, line for what he'd actually shoot. If we what wanted to use an say? 18. Um, 120, I think, right? Something like that. He said he'd probably get to the par threes in like two or three over. Lou. All right, shooting 101, not bad. Um, <laughs> let's... <laughs> We need we need to bring some life back into this lawn thing. I how about how about what would Pete shoot at Augusta after ten beers? <laughs> I love it. I love it. The Tigers is playing partner again, and right? and no driver in the bag or what? No, he could he could have his full clubs, but I want and these ten beers have to be drank uh, within two hours of tea time. Can't start early. He's got a basically five beers an hour, two hours before. And then hits the course. Uh, I, I hit the course. Ten beers deep. Ten beers deep. What are you shooting? Yeah. Uh, you guys want to guess what I think I'd shoot, and I'll, I'll put down. Yes, walking, yes. walking eighteen, because that, like, I don't know if you. We're gonna assume you. Finish. It's so hilly, yeah. Yeah. Well, most guys too, just to put it out there, like a legitimate golfer, and I get they made the conditions well. I think, like, there's some gettable holes, but yeah, I think if you have to hole everything, like a two handicap shoots in like the eighties, like low eighties. I think it's My, the the guy I'm talking about that shot 71 also like is playing like the U.S. Uh, four balls, like played college golf. Like, it's, it's, Do we know your handicap or is that not part of this? What's up? What's your handicap? Do we know that or no? Um, I'm a 7-2 index uh, playing the worst golf of my life. I just shot back-to-back like <laughs> 90s. 90, 9-0. Oh, right there. Oh, my God. To be fair, God. apparently you've just been practicing – 
ping pong and table tennis and you just have a wicked serve that yeah i played decent in ping pong in nashville i was playing decent <laughs> in golf last year and then and even my uh yesterday i shot a 91 and uh i shot a 41 on the front with double two doubles on eight and nine like i was like one over through seven holes and then still proceeded to just completely implode. hey god that reminds me real quick pete can we get the backstory on ashley's tweet from a, a little while ago you guys were out on a romantic <laughs> dinner and you told her that her and Gracie were holding your ping pong career back. Yeah, that was obviously a joke. And she, of course, you know, wanted to tweet about it. But yeah, it is frustrating <laughs> on our current house. Everything echoes. So if Gracie's sleeping, we can't play ping pong. It's a disaster. All I want to do is play. I want to come over, play ping pong, maybe get a golf simulator. I mean, I'm just doing it all wrong. It's Poor terrible. Pete. Get your life together, Pete. It all right, awful. 10 beers deep, have to hold everything at Augusta. We're playing the tips, obviously, or whatever the tees that the PGA yeah. Tour players are playing. We're playing the tipsies. Um, all right, I have my guess written down for Jennings. Okay, I've got mine in my head. So I'll begin. Hold on. Mike is doing, like, beautiful mind-level math right now. <laughs> I'm not. Justin, do you have your guess? I got mine. This uh, is this. Well, I feel on, like this is here. no, no. I'm not. I, this is, I think, tough because Pete, you know, gave us the context clue of where he's saying Augusta isn't that hard for a golfer. But we also, like, I've seen Pete have some drinks. I don't know if I've ever seen Pete like pretty blotto, and I also don't know how well he would perform under that condition so i feel like and we're doing this the other factor that i'm not counting it, like the, is this with like fans and stuff or this is just like you're out there saying <laughs> fans make it easier i'm gonna say fans make it easier because i balls... think fans should in theory make it easier and this why do fans make it easier there's part of my analysis overall that you i think them. is the part you're underestimating justin it's really yeah. hard the putts is really hard but there's one element that i think makes it a lot easier than other courses relatively. Is it the uh, 10 beers? Because you don't lose <laughs> balls. You don't lose balls nearly as often. You like, don't you're like, you're, like you're just not hitting balls out of bounds off the team. Uh, all right. I got it. We got to guess again now. We got no, we got the numbers. Wait, We're, say we got our numbers. He just wait, gave you're not hitting balls out of bounds when there's people because you're hitting people. Well, so, so like in other courses, you might be fortunate a ball that would be going out of bounds might like hit people and come back in. Right, right. Part of the thing about Augusta in general is that it's very hard to hit the ball like actually out of bounds. Which that when you're playing for total strokes, that like the total killer is you hit the ball out of bounds off the tee, then you have to take your third shot right off the tee. Like that's where the sevens, eights, nines really start coming into play a lot. And you're still gonna make those on this course, obviously, but like it's like Harbor Town or something like that, or somewhere where there's like a ton of out of bounds. That would be like it could get ugly fast. Yep. Okay. All right, Mike, what's your guess? Wait, I gotta start because yeah, I'm right now. 122. 127. All right. I'm I'm bullish on Pete 116. I was You're about to change the one <laughs> And I went high. I went 139. I said 115. Let's go. You just hit you just hit 90 the past couple days, and you're gonna 10 drunk beer shoot 15 of that gospel. <laughs> I wanted to go like 150, but I felt like Jennings was talking real time. And 10 beers, tips, putting out everything okay. at Augusta, and we're, right. we're adding on 25 strokes. Okay, so like I have another context. Um, a former NFL receiver that I play a lot of golf with, I give him three aside. He just shot 82 at Augusta. 
10 beers. 10, ten beers. beers. It's not that much. 10 beers, are like, it's not that, like, if you ten said 20, beers, doesn't 20 matter. beers, I'm in big trouble. What 10 beers, like, there's 20, no way. Beers in two hours is a lot. What distance did he play? What pin location? And what were the greens? He played one-ups. One-ups, I'm sure, for 82s. And I get it's a lot harder. Wait. I mean, 115, I, I'm my, pretty confident I can make, like, a lot of bogeys and double bogeys. Like a lot. I bet what is that Bitcoin? you're not in prime drinking shape right now. You just no, I'm definitely not in prime drinking shape. Ten beers. I'll be candid. Yeah. I, I'm thinking I'm like really buzzing, but I'm not like falling over. <laughs> what is you're Bitcoin not be able to swing well. for you to get us on a five some on Augusta? Like 250k. There's no, it's not that hard. I mean, it's hard, but it's not that hard to get onto Augusta. It's hard. That is a that's a that's a statement. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Now, now, I mean, can, I mean, if we ever found ourselves a prop bet, I need to see a round of golf from Jennings. Ten D. I'm not gonna ever have. I want to see Jennings. Drink, I'm never gonna drink ten beers before I play Gus. I'm gonna be fucking sober as a judge. I probably, I probably agree. Given that that I have ten, if I'm like swaying, like really, like struggling, can't see straight. Yeah, I'm shooting like a one. I'm shooting a zilly. These are so many hills too. Like I almost <laughs> fell down like three times yeah. just in the pine straw. Like that's the hardest part is undulation and like a lot of the holes. <laughs> that would be hard. I, I want to readjust. One fifteen is is being way too generous. To I already one. won. Too late to <laughs> the putting. Um, I agree with you. I think you. Th I think you three and four putt a lot, but like you, once you start playing around there, you just start lagging stuff around. Like you're just like tapping it and like I don't know. There's some like it's just it's you don't hit balls out of bounds there. That's a huge part of shooting like a really big score is like hitting the ball out of bounds, which How is why like these big hitters. You think Augusta as a concept and ten beers gives to you per hole. Oh yeah, here's a better. I went with two. That that's what I did. I gave he basically ignored the, 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 the beer part of that entire. Problem. Exactly. I, I, I think if I don't have any beers, I shoot like 105, 110. So like I was not like giving myself. Like, <laughs> you wanted to answer your version of the question and not the actual prompt. No, I that dude. I that, when I played yesterday, I probably had seven beers. <laughs> That's that's, I don't, wait, wait, okay. Five hour we, round. We should, we should talk about the ten beers. Is it ten beers before the round? Yes, I said ten beers the two hours before, averaging five beers an do, hour. Do you think you could drink ten beers in two hours? Like, <laughs> of course I could bring ten beers. <laughs> me? And do you I think you know. could run six miles? Uh, and do you now think we're talking how many six donuts? miles, <laughs> some donuts, some other activities? Wait, I speaking mean, of speaking of. Three donkeys. I mean, ETR. We've got we got Peter at ETR. We got Adam at ETR. Like, is he coming back? I'm not gonna break that. News. <laughs> I don't know. let me I hope so. source me might... source me, Pete. I'll I'll take <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you to Pete and Brick for breaking the Rufus basically on your <laughs> laws. Yeah. yeah, we. I, I didn't even have zero inside info, and I saw that one coming a mile away. Yeah. So is that good? 10 beers, how you know on the back nine, you're probably feeling pretty good, honestly. That's like 10 beers, that's like question. four hours later. Like, you're feeling yeah. good, right? You probably start drinking again on the night. Like 10, you're like, okay, I'm yeah. yeah, at the turn, you're you're doing I underestimated the 10 beers, so I'm gonna be very and I'm also I always am more optimistic in my own golf game than reality. So that but that was we if you didn't factor that in as a guesser, then that's your own. That's your own putt. All right. So, also, I was playing like I was last summer. Like I didn't, have, I didn't shoot a single round last year in Colorado, uh, in the nineties. But Everything that was, was the air. Normal. That's the thin air. 
Yeah. You know, and, and, and I get it's long, like, and there's, you know, like hole one is an absolute monster. Um, hole two is a really tough par five. If you're not like these PGA tour guy, like it's a hard, it's, it's, I get it. Four and five and six. Yeah. Break three, it. three. I actually think I could play it. I think I can make a bogey on. Like the par threes aren't going to absolutely kill you. The 241 is. We were looking at the 241, that. but you make a par. Or I'm sorry, a bogey. Do you make a bogey? You how many cars? I would probably hit driver. I'd probably hit it somewhere ish around the green. Like I guess, I guess that's one hole where you could hit it like out of bounds, like if you yeah. yank it or something. But I'd probably fade it and slice it or something, something shitty. Uh, yeah. Chip it up on the green and two or three putt. Yeah, bogey double. That is crazy. Ten beers and a three point. Ten contest. beers. Ten beers. I had ten beers. I'm, I'm wrong. No, th- uh, five shots each spot. Okay, here's now we got a bet. I will drink twenty five beers, beers in two hours and I'll shoot three pointers. Twenty five threes. We're doing that next we top shot meetup. That's that's the prop bet. Fine. Ten beers, three pointers. You got. I would take myself. What, what's your normal? What's your sober again? Here what's your what sober percent? again? What percent? Over 45. And you're sober. I would take 70? over 45 for you. What's up? What was your I would take over 45 like percent for you. Yeah. Like seven. 10 beers. I'm under. I'm fading, Pete. <laughs> you think at 10 beers in two hours, you don't think I can make 45%? We also need to talk ABV here as well. <laughs> yeah, now and now I'm thinking, of course, I don't know. Speed. I've yeah. played I've played basketball intoxicated before. I was <laughs> unconscious for the first three shots, and then I couldn't find the hoop once the alcohol. <laughs> yeah, but you were like actually trying to play basketball, right, Jack? Yeah, but like yeah, still we're talking about standing still. I all right, why don't we throw? Why don't we just put beer? I want this bet. Right? I want to talk about the golf one. I'm wrong. The golf one, I probably shoot like one. I probably shoot 150. Like, I, I still question if you could do 10 beers in two hours. You want to bet on that, Jack? Yeah, I'm gonna bet that on that. Much. 10 beers. In I, two I hours think you could. Fun. I think you could chug 10 beers in two hours, but drinking them without. Do you realize how long two hours is? It's it's, it's a beer a every beer 12 minutes. 12 it's, that's not Dale bad. did the math for us. That's not bad. That's, that's not bad. That's pretty bad. As no. long as you can go to the bathroom in between, like you're fine. Well, that okay, that's a factor. That's you, pee. A factor. you can pee. Well, yeah, but that drains. What you could pee? That drains. <laughs> We're I've gonna let the kid pee, off. Jack. <laughs> to be clear, I've seen guys have way over 10 beers, and again, it's over a course of four round four hours. But I've seen guys have like 15 beers in like a course of a call. Yeah, but that's four hours. I mean, 15 beers in four hours or 10 beers in two hours. I mean, I don't know. All right. The whole whole thing was a ploy to get Jennings to just get. We can also do this. How about we'll set up another golf course? It'll obviously be easier than Augusta. But I just think I think of the all the courses on the PGA tour, like Augusta's not like the hardest. Augusta's the easiest. It's not the easiest, <laughs> but it's not, it's definitely not the hardest. It's not even close what, to the what is the hardest? I mean, all the US open sites are gonna be yeah. like when they the, what do they do to make gar- courses like really hard is when the greens become like concrete. When you like land on the green <laughs> and you can't keep it on the green. It's so, really all rough, like like Shinnecock when they added, like I'm shooting two like you get the ball out of bounds. You get the ball in the rough where you can't advance, so you can't keep it on the green. I mean, I don't know if I break two hundred and something like that. Pete so does I have wouldn't... a little experience of drinking and playing uh, basketball here, so so watch out. There has been a little. Training. How about my three point <laughs> shot in the when we were drinking booze? <laughs> it was good. It was very good. Um. All right, we're gonna land the plane, Justin. 
appreciate you uh, chopping it up with us. Anything else uh, you guys got going on over at uh, OTM right now? Nah, just come join the Masters contest, even if you just want to have some fun. Um, if you're not sure how to do it, just shoot me a DM. But no, all good. There you go. It's very easy to hop in that. Uh, TOC.OTMNFT.com. I'll put the link in the show notes. Uh, Pete, great having you tonight. I'm glad. I'd like to imagine the rest of your week is going to be spent thinking how much you could drink while simultaneously accomplishing various. I'm embarrassed. Feet. I'm wrong. I'm, I, I, <laughs> the is an egregious, egregious guest. It's 150. Oh, uh, right, so you, what's the new number? What's the new 150. number? 150. 150. But I want to ask you on the 3.0. This is what I thought the correct answer should be uh, closer to. Justin, what do you think you shoot? It sounds like you and I are similar level. What do you think you shoot with the 10 beers? It, so I think 115, like you saying 115 makes sense. Uh, 10 beers. Uh, no, no, no. Oh, sorry. You're, you're saying you're saying 115 makes sense without the booze. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And like 101 for someone. And he's playing more like a two. So and I said plus one or two. But like he, he he's shoots way now. better than that. If he's a legit two, he shoots way better than that. Maybe. Um, Unless he can't putt. Is he like the worst putter ever for a no, two he's, or something? He's a good putter. So when yeah. we went into the day, I was saying the same thing as you. And I was like, I think this would be a really hard course to get par, but not that bad to get like bogey doubles. Um, yeah. Then watching some of the greens is when our minds completely changed. And maybe it was just a couple of the greens or change, but like it was to the point where the players were just like looking at their caddy, like, I don't know what's going on. Like, why is my ball and ball's not stopping on the green? And I'm sure they'll get the hang of it. And maybe me by like that second half, I'm starting to get the feel, but that's half the round. And like, I think I'm, I was trying to count how many pots. I think I'm hitting 45, 50 plus pots. Yeah. I think that's I think that's right. I'm not making like I'd say I'm making 50% of three footers, like maybe maybe 50% of four footers, five footers, like and that's where I think it gets really hard. Is now you're lagging five foot six foot putts. Ugh. Here, all right, we'll close with this little alpha for the Masters. Bad putters actually do better at Augusta relative to other PGA Tour tournaments because you make far fewer putts. It's three putt avoidance that is like the key thing. So guys like Bubba Watson. Adam Scott, these guys who aren't like great putters, but can lag decently well, historically done well at Augusta. Wow. If you, if you waited two hours for your <laughs> DFS alpha leak, congratulations. Jackie <laughs> Matsuyama won last year. That guy can't putt. There you great go. menu, his, though. I got, great I, I got some alpha there. Uh, his caddy, when asked how he's playing, he said the shoulder is doing okay. He's optimistic. And uh, Matsuyama did not do the practice round. Instead, his caddy was walking it himself, rolling the balls, and doing everything that a caddy would do. There right. we go. More alpha. alpha. Mike, any that. more Masters alpha? Everyone's giving it out right now. I, I, no, no, no. I'm, I'm soaking it all in. Um, I enjoyed hearing about the greens there. Justin, it's a very interesting perspective there. I want to go out and watch a Masters at some point. I've never done it, but I want to do that at some point. Um I did sign up for the Masters Challenge, by the way, during um, the club tonight. I don't know who I picked, um, but I just grabbed five people, and, and we'll see how that works out. And my parting message will be that we need to all stand together with Andy against Logan Paul. Yes. But ideally, it ends up in a boxing match, ideally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Priority number one is Andy prevails. Priority number two is Andy prevails with a boxing match. In the metaverse? 
No, no, I want IRL in Dubai or something. I need Andy cutting a wrestling promo that's like saying to Logan, "I'll fractionalize your face." (laughs) Uh, So yeah, we'll we'll get Andy's take on that next week. Jack, any final words? Pasta in the boiling water, then the sauce. (laughs) Your champion's menu, (laughs) pasta. Um, My piece of alpha. uh, We're on lulls tomorrow. We're actually having uh, Levitan on. Going to talk to us. uh, We're going to talk masters. Talk a little bit about the new ETR golf product and uh, build uh, maybe a lineup or two on that show. So that'll be 4 p.m. Eastern tomorrow here on the channel. Appreciate you guys hanging out. Thank you to Justin. Feel better. Andy, everybody, make sure to get your 10 beers in before watching the Masters. We'll see you guys next Tuesday. Peace.